Hello, Heron. Hi, Tom. So our listeners have uh, done it in spades this evening. Oh, really? Cool. <laughs> yeah, I've got a bunch of questions from a bunch of new listeners, some Joe the Drummer questions. New listeners, too. Yes. Oh, man, that's yeah. awesome. Good. So as I, as I start every week, <laughs> do you have any topics you'd like to well, throw yes, out Well, yes, yes, I do. I have um, two, and one just came up as I was messaging you before this. Did you notice my last message? Of course that, I did, Heron. Uh, with the word language in the middle of it. Yes, I noticed it. Curiously enough, see, I have sh- for my iP- I do all my writing on my iPad now, mm-hmm. and I have a bunch of shortcuts set up in iPad for things like language monkey, language machine, epistemology, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Yes. And, and the one for language is LL. Uh-huh. But that's on my iPad, not in Skype, on my Mac. So I t- when I typed I, without bothering to hit the cap when I hit the apostrophe LL, it put in language. Why the hell would Skype be using shortcuts that are on my iPad but not on my Mac? Let me explain this to you, Heron. The language shortcut is based on you as a user, which is independent of any device that you touch. It doesn't come up on uh, when I type in my text editor on uh, in Mac OS. Which text yes. editor do you use? I use a thing called Bean. Okay, well, Bean does not have the language mapping that Skype and a variety of other text editors include. Okay, so I should expect this, then, that all of those... Well, let me just see. Uh, let's just try this one. By golly. Ah, see, now that didn't come out there. I just typed you LMO, which is language monkey. Uh-huh. So, next explanation. Well, no, actually, what, <laughs> what, you're, what you're hoping for here... I can't I can't describe what particular shortcuts or eccentricities Apple has encoded through this. What I'm telling you yeah. is the experiences that I've had and the experience that you have just had. There are probably a variety so You're telling of, me this isn't a miracle. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, Heron. Oh, damn. <laughs> Those folk at Apple damn them do these things occasionally. Okay, well, I, like I say, it just startled me because when I, I typed I uh, semicolon LL, and uh, and then I looked at what I sent you, and it had the word language in it, and I just thought, well, that shouldn't be there. Mm. Well, anyway, um, I just thought you created a new, um, you know, a new a new language definition that you were now going to embody in all your communication. Ah, I that's thought you. You know, that's, that's a much better explanation. Yes. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah. Now all I have to do is figure out what the hell it means and why I did it. You know. I th- uh, my reading of it was that you were asserting that you had said something very simple. Let me look for folks listening in. This is the interchange <laughs> that occurred. I noted initially, as I did, that I needed to grab some water. Then I'll be on. Then I'm good to go. Then Heron writes, I'll call in about five minutes. And then I said, let me know when you're ready to call. And then my assumption was, you, this, this new language syntax that you have <laughs> relates to the fact that in simple language, I get this straight time. I'm going to call you at 627, although you typed it in military time, 1827. I so, don't consider that military time. I call, I call that rational time. Very good. <laughs> Screw the military. Very good. Very good. So, yes, my interpretation was just that you had entered another realm of being. Ah, so you thought that I actually did that intentionally. 
Well, I, the question I have... That's a good question, actually. I mean, because there's hardly a typo in any normal sense. Yes. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, the intentionality is interesting here. But let's face it, and the listeners of Stone Egg can probably gauge this as well. The, the potential is there, Heron, for you to create your own oh, enforced... Yeah, yeah. Clearly, I, I could do any yeah. goddamn thing and get away with it because I'm crazy as a bat. So, yeah, right. Okay, well, in any case, on my end of it, <laughs> it was all very intentional, and that was a surprise to see the word language there, and so, yes. yeah, I think we've milked about enough out of that particular subject. Uh, the other one is, I want to go back to Nelson Mandela. Oh, yes. And is now a good time to do that? Yes, I will sign for you while you uh, talk about Nelson Mandela. No, I don't want to talk about it. I want to ask you a couple questions. Oh, certainly. Yeah, by all means. Because I assume, I know you're far better read on probably almost anything except deep science stuff than I am. Oh, well, in response to that, I would say WTF. I mean... Well, well no, having read stuff uh, and, and being having, no, having a lot of information at your, you know, is not a bad thing. And why don't I have that information in deep science as well? Um, I don't know. Maybe you do, but I haven't seen it. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> it's a smackdown, folks. Here is starting with the, the lighter fish. Anyway, continue. Well, well no. Let me, okay, let me just say in the areas of science that I have gone deeply into. All right. How about that? I'm still wondering what that what areas they well, well, so am I. I would like to know, too. It has something to do with language, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in, in the areas of deep social science, yeah. I might have only read some books. Okay, continue. Yeah. Well, in any case, you're you're far better informed about a whole lot of stuff, especially in the in the normal world, the political yeah. world, and all that, than I am. Sure. And uh, I mean, and I'm vaguely aware. I mean, actually, Mandela doesn't mean much of anything to me, one way or another. Mm. You know, I mean, the uh, I mean, all the press hype around him for the last thirty years has been interesting. Mm. You know, and. But and but I was aware of the fact that that he was a revolutionary and mm -hmm. uh, involved in killings and bombings. Mm -hmm. and stuff. So, but I don't know. I'm I'm curious how Mandela uh, talks about his past now. How how does he does he deny it or does he? Um, yeah, what was his stance on his previous life? I don't Do you think know? he he was ever. I mean, my senses from the stuff that I've heard of is that the only people ever talk about it are the people he knew back then. So it's not a narrative that he has to address, which is a standard That's form. sort of surprising, actually. I mean, that nobody, in, I mean, had in an interview or something had brought any of this shit up. Are you familiar with the? Are you familiar with the weathermen as a phenomena, like who they were and what they did? Vaguely, yeah. The phenomena associated with the weathermen is they are probably the only. I don't even know what one would call them. <laughs> Terrorists are you, well, folk, I don't even you want to use the T term. Folks that use explosives to blow people up and kill people. Let's just categorize that. The weathermen. Yeah, everybody's got their own justification for what they do. Yeah, the, so, the weathermen yeah. are phenomenally interesting because they will still, although they didn't through the 2004 election, but they did soon after the 2004 election, conduct interviews where they actually talk about what they did when they set explosives. And the uh -huh. weathermen say, the, I can't think of the fellow's name, the, the main fellow, his father was um, head of the gas company in Chicago. He, um, gas or electric powers, he said prior to September 11th, blowing, blowing things up 
didn't have the same connotations. I think that's a verbatim quote. It's from Democracy Now! 2005. Uh-huh. The yeah. exact quote. People that are involved in these kind of activities don't typically, once they become legitimate states people, go back and talk about that murky time. The thing that strikes me about Mandela is through his entire rise to power after he left jail, his family, and to a certain extent him by proximity, but probably very actively because we don't actually know what went on, ran death squads that conducted some of the most bizarre and atrocious murders that you can describe. When I made the reference to um, the the petrol the petrol in the tire you know these kind of things yeah. are just what they used to dish out on a regular basis they still yeah. exist these death squads mm-hmm. the what replaces a bad system in the case of apartheid is really very very interesting in the case of south africa no i well, i know we're going i don't really want to get into all that political stuff mm-hmm. i'm just curious about so so as far as you know he hasn't He's never been questioned or on the record or said anything about those days and what he, how he thought he was doing and how he views it now. My sense is that you would need, I, I, I'd love to have the same, I'd love to have interviews with yeah. so, so you're not, leaders yeah. that are still alive and still in power yeah. associated with these kind yeah. of things. The role of the journalist in these circumstances, when they get exposure to these people, is to placate them. It is not to ask these kind of questions. Yeah, we need to document his... Yeah, because the whole concept of being born again, I mean, is something I'm familiar with. And I've certainly been through several different, well, two transitions, so three different states of mind. And when I look back at how I thought and what, you know, and what stories I was running with uh, when I was 16 or when I was 30 and now are vastly different. I, I feel like almost no relationship whatsoever to those people that I used to be. Yes. Uh, that, that was um, that was then and this is now. Yeah. And I can't really speak for for what he did then. I'm sure he had his justifications. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he had a story that made whatever Dennis used to do seem like the right thing to do. Mm. But then as I as I grew, that story and those justifications changed. So that's why I'm I'm asking. I'm curious about Mandela. Like I say, the only yeah. phenomenon where I've ever seen that actually occur because the journalist actually asked them was associated with this weatherman fellow. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love I mean, even in the contemporary sense and we've talked about this associated with, you know, if you had a question to ask Obama or you yeah. know, these kind of people, what would that question be? I mean, my sense is that modern journalism is so far removed from asking these kind of questions <laughs> that we yeah. really, yeah. you know, it, it is illustrative to even say well, it out there are individ- There are journalists out there, though. There are good. I mean, they may not be in the mainstream. I even think probably they are there sometimes, but... I mean, there are individuals there, plenty of them. Uh, but when yeah. I hear, jo- I I go to relatively abstract and independent sources to get my news media, increasingly farther and farther afield from mainstream news sources. But I do occasionally dabble in the mainstream news. And well, it's even- good to keep up on the general thing about what the you know the language monkeys are thinking is important. <laughs> yeah. It strikes me that even the critical journalists, even the journalists that are of an ilk that 
can talk about notions of, you know, contemporary war crimes and these kind of things that are going on are still fundamentally apologists associated with the politicians that they interact with. I'm not seeing journalists (sighs) that are not only critical associated with what they, but they just seem to be, oh, you know, it's okay that this happened because, you know, that's just the way things happen. And no, it's okay that this happens. I think there's there's a view of independence that a journalist needs to have, but on some level there needs to be some abstract notion of disgust and irony. It's interesting. Oh, see, I, don't, I just think it's about documenting what what's going on. I, I don't think about judging it or anything. That's fucking irrelevant. It's it's just well, it's not irrelevant, I guess. But but to really take the measure of a guy, you'd have to know how he thinks about these things. Yes, you know, and we and, never and will. Simply knowing what he did, uh, I guess what it is 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 you seem to have answered all the questions that there really ain't, aren't any answers for. You're, you're assuming. Uh, he's still the same person doing the same thing he's doing. Anything. Yeah. I'm saying ah, the, okay, the man no. is connected. I'm sure. Look, his death squads when he was leading into and through his time at presidency were far better funded and far better equipped. And clearly, there was a motion from him actually setting the explosives to these circumstances. The thing that I yeah. find most disgusting about this circumstance, Heron, mm-hmm. is that the people of South Africa, the the African you know, the native African folk who live in South Africa to this day are in appalling circumstances. And it's a travesty for any form of kind of intellectual discourse to have a feel-good circumstance because of the way this man has (laughs) been portrayed in the media. It's sickening. And that's really all I have to say about this man, his death squads, and the circumstance where he can be eulogized as some great savior for the African people. It's just disgusting. Oh, and, and what exactly is disgusting about it? That the, the narrative that we are sold. Oh, let me put, let me, let, I'm sorry, let me ask you this way. Whatever it is you're disgusted about, who is responsible for that? The, the, well, the folks. I mean, is it, it sounds like you're angry with Mandela, and I'm wondering if, if, if we shouldn't be more angry with most of the fucking human beings who make up the situation. I'm not disagreeing with you, Heron. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, it's, uh, that's the no, look, thing, because I don't have... We're sympathetical with this notion that this was a man who had foibles, who, you know, who had political, you know, aspirations and used you know? a variety of things. The thing that disgusts me is that anyone who had any opposition to him, who clearly might have had distinct and different views along the process, <laughs> was eliminated. So you end up with this kind of political... Like monarch status in a country that is so beyond, it's impossible to sit here. I I say we're. I I have no issue with that. I mean, the politics of this whole thing. Well, it's typical language monkey shit. So, but, but again, I, I just, I I guess what I didn't understand is what I felt, and maybe I just misinterpreted it was a sort of like personal antagonism to uh, to Mandela himself. Uh, look, not about the whole situation. My view is that, you, look, as you do with Obama, you can say, you know, these are people that exist, they have foibles, what have you. They exist in an environment. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm a person with a foibles as well. We're all people with foibles. That's right, yes. I just don't order double tap drone strikes. I mean, I'm not responsible for seeing people with tires around their necks, having their heads basically cooked 
so the remainder of their bodies is useless. I mean, I'm not responsible for any of this stuff. So when I'm you pay taxes, bodies, don't you? Well, this is the funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> this yes. is where it really gets we are very responsible funny. for yeah. it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, my my sense is that perhaps I'm sufficiently removed from um, you know the folks that are happy about the life and times of Mandela, but yeah. I don't know if we can get anything coherent out of this conversation. Well, I, like I say, I'm, I, I don't think we can either, probably. But I was just – like I say, I don't have any, like say, emotional reaction to him much one way or another. He's, he looks like a nice old guy and the P, he's got good PR. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. – you know, and, and I'm aware vaguely of his past. Um, but like I say, you know, it's just the whole the whole situation is just embedded – in monkey business. Yeah. You know, and, and, and to single that thing, you know, like I say, I just hear a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy about man. So that's why I'm trying to sure, figure out whether that emotional energy is about Mandela or about fucking language monkeys. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, a little from column A, a little from column B. But... Okay. All right. Because yeah. I'm definitely pissed at the fucking language monkeys. Yeah, clearly. I think we're both, I think we're both clearly pissed. At <laughs> and I think, really, if there weren't a bunch of fucking language monkeys, this other shit wouldn't be happening. Happening. Yes, because they wouldn't put up with this shit. We wouldn't. Strangely, you, know. you, you don't say, Harry. You don't say. <laughs> this actually. So this was your second topic of two topics, right? Oh, you're just champing to get away from this, aren't you? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We can, we can, we can spend the whole evening. No, I'm done with it. Really, I, I just. I, it was something that was on my mind in the intervening week, mm. and uh, and I wanted to um, because I'm curious myself. I mean, I hadn't really ever thought about it. I just don't pay any attention to any of that shit. It's all bullshit. But uh, you know, starting thinking, yeah, I wonder how does Mandela think about what he did back then? That would be that's that's the real measure right there. If he can say, yeah, I did that back then, that was the story I had, uh, and that isn't how I see things anymore. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because with our current president, he often opines when there's a microphone in front of him associated with what drone strikes actually mean. And in the same breath, he says, and I've created a legal framework that, in brackets, none of you can see, that makes me feel a hell of a lot better about these drone strikes. <laughs> Meanwhile, 17 people wedding ceremony, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, look, my view is probably if he was interviewed associated with these things, we wouldn't really get any insight into his kind of deeper consciousness anyway. No, no, no not in his present position. 30 years from now, we might, though. See, that's the thing is Mandela certainly is in a position – I mean, he might have graduated to a position where he could talk about what he did back then and do it with some grace and, and own up to what he did and uh, and make it really clear that that's not who he is anymore. Yeah, the problem is that per earlier discussion, his behavior – Changed only with regards to the power that he held, not with regards to. Well, again, see, I don't know. I don't know that. See, the thing is, I don't know. That's you. You probably know a lot more facts about this stuff than I do. Yeah. So, um, anyway, moving on from this. Yeah, story. let's move on. Let's let's let him go. So, so, so many listeners submitted questions this week. I think I'm actually going to go person by person through them. Let's let's start off with new people. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Timothy Charles Moorhead is a new listener, or at least a new person on the Facebook group. It's interesting, actually. He he, he ended his list of questions, which I will start his questions with. That he was seventeen minutes into last week's show, 
and that he's amazed how many questions seem to be answered in the past tense, which in, in the in, oh, which it, it, I found very curious because you talked about Mandela in the present tense, which probably negates a lot of uh, Timothy's concern. So hopefully Timothy has moved beyond that. Uh, it, uh, that we're talking about stuff in the well, will we get to that question or no? Or that's or that just o- an observation that he made. So read that. Read that again. I'm curious. I'm to, 17 minutes into last week's show now, amazed at how many questions seem to be answered past tense oh yeah well i'd obviously have to listen to that and find yeah, out never gonna happen which i'm which that ain't gonna on. happen Moving so, on. so, he's, so he's, no, what's his name again timothy charles moorhead i think there's something about this Aaron. yeah well no, wait a minute i was just gonna say timothy uh if you want to edit you know cut out those specifics and send me a reference or just send me a time uh, you know, code or Don't something. Send him a time code, Timothy. Send him a typed out reference that he can read and digest. Well, ah, that would be code. even better. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. Uh, that's an interesting observation. Uh, and, um, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I'd love to find out. Thanks, Tim. Tim. Appreciate it. Timothy continues. I appreciate the butterfly metaphor regarding the waking up of humanity. And Heron has that 20 to 50 year timeline. But can you describe or predict any more than that? Acceptable answers include what the changes will not include. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, all I can say is uh, I'm looking for metaphors by looking at the process of metamorphosis. Uh, from general systems theory, uh, says that you'll see the same processes going on in multiple levels of organization. And, uh, so, if uh, if metamorphosis and embryology in general um, goes through these kinds of processes, then it's quite possible that the planet itself might have similar processes going on. Um, yeah, I don't know specifically what it is. It's a it's a pretty vague uh, metaphor in some ways, but not in others. Like I say, uh, looking to embryology and and looking at the physical process of embryology, it's really – there's a, a book on my bibliography called Systems in Development. It's a book on embryology that I read years and years ago, and it's a, basically a graduate-level textbook on embryology. But it's fascinating, and it's full of pictures and stuff. It's just a great book. And the parallels, when you, when you – when you read that book and think about the planet instead of uh, an embryo, there are so many parallels. It's just stunning. Um, so I, I would encourage you then to uh, go study embryology and, and you tell me what you expect. <laughs> yes. Do you know who wrote that book? Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I can look it up. Would yeah, you? It's interesting because Dick Gordon was someone I talked to frequently in the Biota podcast, and I think he wrote a book. No, it's title. not him. No, okay. it's not him. I'll, I'll give you the title because I've I've got it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But well, no, I just thought you know. I'm not even sure of the of the um, title right now. So actually, it probably is uh, useful. Oh damn! <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> That's right. You can edit this stuff, can't yeah, you? Yeah, no, I edit all this crap out. <laughs> Our listeners think we're lucid. There we go. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's called Interacting Systems in Development. Okay. Uh, by two guys, Ebert, not the movie guy, and Sussex, S-U-S-S-E-X. Ebert and Sussex, Interacting Systems in Development. A really important book uh, in my thinking, development of my thinking. So, 
acceptable answers include what the changes will not include. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I, I, I guess I can say it's going to be different. <laughs> you know, I suspect most of the systems that we have in place now will be gone. Uh, the fun, the same functions need to carry on though. That's, that's the whole point is, is when you see systems in development, you realize there are certain basic sys- functions that any cohesive whole has to fulfill. It has to be able to take in energy, has to be able to process, it has to be able to eliminate waste, it has to be able to send stuff from one place to another. There's all sorts of stuff that has to happen. Uh, but the systems that, that organize those functions can be wildly different. And, but the functions still have to get maintained. So, um, that's, that's our job is looking at the systems we have in place for, for maintaining everything and, uh, figuring out better ways to do it. So Timothy goes on. I find the firearms tangents off base. Am I off base thinking this? <laughs> Damn right. We can talk about anything we want to. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to justify any shit for yeah, anything. It's interesting, actually, because I think <laughs> certainly of the listeners that I've surveyed, a number of them find they have their kind of pet off-base topics. <laughs> but they're so sufficiently diverse that yeah. it's actually what, what you're finding here, Timothy, is that this is actually probably the topic that we should talk about more to explain it to you. Because... <laughs> It's interesting, actually, because firearms are a hot button issue for, for people. A lot of people, yeah. And Especially the press. <laughs> it's, it's a narrative which actually I find very interesting. I mean, as we've talked about, to live in a world where, you know, one does not need to have certain groups of knowledge, including knowledge about firearms, seems to me to be a really quite utopian environment. But there are still these things called firearms that we will probably as we engage in continuing tangential discourse, have some encounter with potentially. My view is that no no knowledge, even theological knowledge, is bad knowledge. You can have knowledge in almost any area, and I will take an interest in it and try to glean as much as possible <laughs> from this knowledge. And my view is, Timothy, that you probably need to consider your own uh you know, your own particular biases here and explore accordingly and report back to us. Well, and, and not that there's anything wrong with having biases. We all have them. Certainly. I certainly do. Yes. Uh, but it's good to know. Uh, well, again, that we, we, to me, it's more about stories. You know, we've all got our stories, <laughs> you know, but the stories don't represent reality. Some Something out there that yes. really is there is just our story. Yes. You know, there may be something out there, who knows, but I don't and neither do you. So all we got is the stories we're telling ourselves and others. And uh, you've got a story about that has something to do with guns and I do and Tom does. Tom and mine are quite different and apparently yours is different again from both of ours. Yes. <laughs> Good. Yes. I guess, yeah, I, I would not live in fear of any kind of knowledge. I think that's... That's the interesting, you know. How, yeah, that seems almost. How could anybody conceive of any kind of knowledge as being bad? That, that's well, yeah. That clearly, just, clearly, there are plenty of people that do. But oh, I, I know, I know, but they're that. just idiots. Yes. I, I mean, I don't, I, I can't possibly. Timothy, take notes. <laughs> well, I didn't hear Timothy saying that knowledge is bad. Well, I, I, I think those are your words, not his. No, I, well. <laughs> He th- thought he thought the topic was inappropriate. Yeah, that's all he said. Which would well, 
Come on, I mean, we'd have to know why he. I mean, we'd have to. We'd have to get him on here and, and query him. T- Timothy, you know what to do. His <laughs> next. His next section is: Are you aware of the Long Now Foundation and its series of podcasts, The Human Species, or its successor, lasting another ten thousand years? Millions. Well, at least it's 10,000 years. <laughs> yeah. Seems a more interesting prospect than the same time for an individual. Um, I missed the segue there. So what he's saying is that thinking of the species lasting for 10,000 years yeah. seems a more interesting prospect than thinking about an individual. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's more interesting. I think they're equally interesting. Mm. I don't see any, uh, have need to choose between those two ideas. Hmm. They both make a lot of sense to me, except 10,000. I'm, I'm, if you're familiar with the concept of punctuate, well, if you're not familiar with the f- concept of punctuated <laughs> equilibrium, go to Wikipedia and, uh, inform yourself about it. Yes. Uh, we are living in a punctuation right now, and it's probably close to its close, and we can establish, I mean, if, if it's in alignment with that theory, uh, we can expect probably a million years of stability at least. So, who knows? We'll see. Long time, but that's the way it works. Long, long times of relative stability and uh, quick, fast, wildly innovative, destructive, and creative times that last from 10,000 to uh, or maybe 50,000 years. We started about well, it depends when. You, know, you can go back to the cave paintings 30,000 years ago. You can go back to agriculture 10,000 years ago. Before that, we were just another monkey on this planet. Hmm. But uh, it all started a few thousand years ago, 10, maybe 20 at the, at the latest. And, uh, and we're clearly <laughs> – well, no, that's not true. We're not clear. My guess, my assumption, my story is that uh, this, this punctuation is just about over. We are about to s- settle down again. Yes. Timothy continues. Tom, please speak more on the technological singularity having already occurred. Well, Timothy, on some level I'd like to say that this is just my shtick because it's a good critical analytic tool to be used against those that say that it's going to occur sometime yeah. in the future. Shock technique. But <laughs> I will say on a day-to-day level, that I feel a distinctly different human because of my surrounding and interaction with technology than any generation that has come prior to me. And I think the discussions associated with notions of history, information, uh, the speed of change, a variety of things, aside from perhaps politicians. But moving from that, I have lived a life that... My parents could never have imagined, and technology has not, it's not that it's been central to that, it has controlled and motivated every point of this juncture. Yeah. I, moreover, when, the more people I talk to, particularly associated with, uh, networked computing, uh, particularly associated with, uh, phenomena like, you know, information processing over the internet, uh, Java virtual machines. I mean, there are a wide variety of technologies that have been developed really even in the past 10 years that are clearly post-singular in, you know, the, the broadest technical sense for um, the stuff Kurzweil writes about. But even outside of Kurzweil, even prior to Kurzweil, 
the notion of human replacement, uh, the fact that technology has had some really strange relationship to humanity, particularly associated with the devaluation of humanity, is really very curious. And I don't find philosophers, I don't find technologists, I don't find anyone that I can read or will speak to that sufficient to my level of experience. And when you have experiential information that you can't map onto philosophers, technologists, people who should be speaking about it, I think there's almost, uh, you have to, if you're a thinking entity, take on some degree of responsibility to criticize what is there, but also to offer some potential solutions yeah, I got to jump in. Yeah, screw criticizing them. Yeah. Get on with that's how a, are we going to talk about that's this exactly shit. My point. Yeah, yes, right. Yeah, yes. ignore I, them. Exactly. <laughs> so the narrative, the the what I experience is so far beyond. And the funny thing is, and I'm just going to talk about this a different way, but this is kind of thrown into the topic. So few people that I read about, uh, Wolfram is a good example. Wolfram is going on this huge PR campaign about how he's developed biological programming paradigms. In parallel to this, I have been writing, rewriting Noble Ape with a, a reactive uh, functional uh, programming method, which is a method of use, I mean, it's an existing programming method, but I've never seen simulations like Noble Ape be rewritten in this way. And everything that I'm reading about Wolfram currently is so far behind the stuff that I tinker with on Noble Ape and the kind of evening basis that I'm really thinking I need an agent. Like, I've just gotten to this point where the stuff that I'm doing is so far removed from any narrative that I can see that I just need someone to go out there and represent the stuff that I'm doing, as Wolfram has for the tinkerings that he does. Well, you need to put it, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. And you need to put it in a way that people are going to be able to get. Well, Wolfram doesn't do that. He just has people that provide Well, that's the why he's had such a massive influence on everybody's thinking. <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because, yeah, that's, that's a good assertion, and it's a curious assertion, but I don't think he has actually... I don't think Kurzweil has had the impact that... No, Kurzweil I don't think any of them. No, no that's exactly so what I'm have. saying. Yeah, yeah, they don't have any impact on Nobody even knows who the fuck they are. Exactly. <laughs> they have a, a big impact on a very small group of people. Yeah. And most people don't even know who they are. Yeah. yeah. That ain't enough. We need some way to talk about this stuff that anybody can get. Yes. What's the Joseph fellow's name? The drummer? Yeah. Oh, isn't that his name? Jo no, <laughs> Joseph is his surname, right? His first name is... Joe. Joe his name Joseph? Is Joe. No, I don't know. I don't think Joseph... Is I, I don't know. I just know him as Joe. <laughs> oh, are you talking about Peter Joseph? Yes. Oh. <laughs> the drummer. He's a percussion. No, J Peter Joseph is a percussionist. He ain't That's a drummer. Exactly <laughs> This has gone perfectly full circle. It's a real thing. Anyway. No, Peter on. Joseph. Joseph is his middle name. His last name is Mercola, but he didn't want to use it because of the, the nature of what he was doing, so he just used Peter Joseph as his name. Very good. Anyway, he, he's another fellow who has amazing devotees that just don't seem to move outside their... No, they're a bunch of fucking idiots, yeah. but, but at least they're hypnotized by him instead of George Bush. At least they're <laughs> You know, that's probably a step. Like I say, I think there are levels of hypnosis here. And, and I think for a lot of people, uh, being a Peter Joseph devotee or, uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, devotee is probably a step forward. 
hopefully they'll outgrow that soon. Mm. Well, that's not part of Eckhart Tolle's stick, though. If he was creating a group that would outgrow his stuff, he'd lose the market. Well, listen, I don't want to get into that either. You know, I don't, you know, it's not for me to have, you know, what could I say? I don't know the guy. I don't know what the hell he's doing. Anyway, Timothy concludes, thank you. Love the show. I'm new to the Facebook. That's your fault. So I think we've encouraged him to come onto Facebook (laughs) and start a... uh, a relationship yeah. with the Stone Act podcast and community, yes, community. yes, and introduce yourself to everybody. And well, he has, yeah, that's well, what writing these did. questions, yeah, has yeah. Done. that's right. <laughs> so, mm. another fellow who I've you know, been- I really every time I hear somebody call this thing a show, part of me just cringes. Oh, Harris, <laughs> I know it is. It has become that, but and everybody talks about it that way. Well, everybody, many people do. I think I listened to the show last night. <laughs> God, don't, don't you don't you feel slightly like a ringmaster, Heron? No, so not slightly. at all. You're the ringmaster. I'm yeah. just one of the acts. Yeah, you're just the, the <laughs> toothless lion that I bring up occasionally. Send right. back to your cage. There you go. Very good. <laughs> Very good. So another fellow who's, uh, I don't think he's a new listener, or maybe he's a new listener, but I've actually met him because he, he is originally a KMO Kevin O'Connor C-Realm listener, is Paul Heft. Paul Hello, is local. Paul. He's local? Uh, he's local to me. Ah, good. And he came to the Sea Realm uh, Consciousness in the Cloud initial mm-hmm. thing. He actually, I think, came out to dinner with us. He came to the Chinese restaurant afterwards. I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure whether he made it. Maybe he didn't make it. Maybe he wasn't one of those folks in there. I can't recall. Anyway, he asks, and this is very topical. A lot of these questions have kind of interlinking themes. <laughs> they usually do, don't they? With with minds like yours and mine, can you imagine anything that doesn't have an interlinking theme? <laughs> no, I mean, I've eliminated the June conversations recently because it's a book that I read when I was about 14 and I don't have any long-term connection with it as a book of interest. Well, but you just brought it up. Oh, man. Anyway, <laughs> Paul Heft asks, and I'm going to put both his questions together because I think they go together. Do our lives need a purpose? Mm. Is there such a thing as a waste of time? <laughs> oh, oh, I love those kinds of questions. Those are great. Yeah. Those are the kinds of questions I don't think you can uh, deal with in the abstract. It's meaningless to deal with that in the abstract, to give an answer to a question like that. Those are powerful questions when an individual is suffering mm. from those questions. And there are good answers for an individual suffering from those questions. Mm. But it depends upon who they are and, um, <laughs> you know, it depends on who they are and where they want to go. <laughs> so in the abstract, there, there, I, I have, you know, I could say, I can say anything and it just doesn't make any difference. <laughs> mm. But like I say, to an individual who is seriously thinking about those questions, then uh, then we're talking about uh, exploring language and how, how it is they formulate those questions and uh, why they choose the words they choose in formulating those questions. So, in distinction to Heron, and this may be a theme through this evening's questions, I actually disagree. I mean, I think... With what? My, with, my, with what I just said? Yes. He did, he, okay. So, to... To reflect on the notion of a purpose is an important reflection to have at some stage. But then to embody that in something, I think, actually has positive motivations. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to go through this process and identify a purpose. But 
it does make for a distinctly more interesting existence to have reflected at a time and then drawn a series of points in the future that one can, you know, think about moving towards periodically. And true, people will pick purposes which can appear to a number of people quite curious, but having (laughs) gone through the process and having put something out there and be moving in some conceptual level towards something is, I think, actually, I mean, it certainly defines my life, but it doesn't necessarily have to define others' lives. It defines almost nobody's life. Do you think so? Yeah, I think most people uh, avoid thinking about it. They, that's why they have a television in their living room. Mm, and yes. they, they go to work, they come home and turn on the TV, and anytime those nasty questions come up, they find some way to suppress it. Yes. And they do think about it once in a while, and it makes them quite nervous to think about it, so they just don't like thinking about that shit. And I think that's probably close to, what, 80% of humans. Well, you'd hope, I mean, for your shtick, that's certainly, you'd hope that were the case. Well, it's I, not about hoping. I wish it wasn't. Well, <laughs> but but uh, th- that seems to me to be w- what's going on. And all I have to guess from is the, my own experience with humans living in South California. I would argue that probably a number of those people have either unachieved purposes or put purposes out there that you may on some fundamental level disagree with. I mean, the notion of going to a job, for example, can enact a notion of purpose through a wide variety of folk. Oh, I, I, yeah. People, if you ask people, uh, mo- many of them, of course, would tell you their family, you know, raising yes. their kids. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But that's bullshit for most of them. That's just their answer. Yeah. That's just what happened. They, that's no purpose in life for them. It is for some. I agree. I, I'm not saying everybody. I'm just, I'm just guessing it, for, you know, from my own experience. I think these are just issues that most people just don't really seriously deal with. So I'm doing an experiment this year with my spiritual advisor associated with the end of year period. And historically, we have, we have celebrated this period with groups of people. This year, perhaps under my insistence, and I'm going through my own, you know, dichotomy associated with this, we are not doing any of that. For years now, I've I mean, I went back to visit my family in 2011 in Australia. But aside from that, I've been relatively removed from this celebration. We went down and saw my wife's family the end of last year. This year, I just have said enough. I spend all my time, you know, doing a wide variety of things. And the notion that we then have to pay homage to (laughs) the ancestors in this very perverse way I feel actually, since my grandmother passed away, I feel actually quite liberated from this yeah, phenomenon. Yeah, no point in playing this game anymore. <laughs> yeah. The thing is that it's, I went out with my co-workers for lunch today, and I found it, I couldn't say it to them in this fashion, because I realized that to say it out loud in a group of people oh, who yeah. really don't yeah. know me <laughs> is not yeah. the best way to not approach this. No, no, not a good way at all. The funny thing is that... Bah, humbug. The funny thing is that the TED <laughs> Talks came up at lunchtime. Because ah. we, I, I was seeing 
I'd recommended some viewing because I'm having to watch 10 hours a week of Netflix. I'm funnily enough going through the catalogue and gave some recommendations out to people who went and watched the things that I'd recommended yeah, and they came good. back with positive reviews. Yes, good. In this conversation, they realised that all the things that I'd recommended were documentaries and someone said to me, do you watch the TED Talks? And I'd say no. No, I don't watch. There, TED. you shouldn't do that. You should shut and shut up, Tom. And then, yes, then I re- then, exactly. You don't need to explain. They're, they're all proud of the fact that they know that Ted is there, and they yes. think that that really makes them cool because they watch Ted. I wasn't going to get into the kind of nemesis aspect of Ted, but I just said that I didn't think the people that delivered the TED talks were giving their best work in the TED format. And the many oh, of them, that's not bad. That's not many bad. of them yeah. whose work I knew. I didn't need to go and watch the highly constructed yeah, yeah, TED. Yeah, yeah. And I also raised the fellow. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Who did the TED satire? Have you seen that? No. Where he he faked his credentials. He gave a TED talk, and then at the end of the talk, he starts asking the people in the audience questions, and then he just says, "This whole thing's been a fake." This thing is ridiculous. I've deconstructed at the end. He says something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I go back. I mean, the only <laughs> TED talk that I return to frequently is Sheldrake's. I've watched it three times. That's yeah. the only TED thing that I, I, found, I found four or five up there yeah. that I thought were quite interesting. Yeah. Especially the one about the crow vending machine. Yeah. <laughs> but I watched briefly, I watched Chris Adami's briefly, and then having met the man, I didn't need to see any more. But the people I've known who have given TED talks fit into two categories people whose work I already know and understand, and people who I think basically have, without criticism, this goes back to the Mandela point, have done work which has avoided a particularly large elephant or gorilla in the room associated (laughs) with their work, that they can continue to plough through it, Ted, because there's no critical analysis associated Uh, with it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that'll make you real popular with everybody. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Anyway. So, Connor Sites Bowen is interested in where you grew up. And he's interested particularly because his wife also grew up in Lakewood, California. Oh, really? In Lakewood? Yes. Oh, God. By the All Soul Cemetery, late 80s. Yeah, I know where that is. is. Yeah, I know yeah. that. My father is and mother are buried in that seminary. Cemetery. Gosh. Yes. Gosh. Gosh, indeed. <laughs> is one of the most unlanguaged monkey people I know, I, um, in this case, Connor Sites Bowen's spiritual advisor. Uh, do you think that geography has something to do with who wakes up? With who wakes up? Interesting way to ask that question. Yeah. It's been an evening of interesting ways to ask interesting questions. Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Well, I'm, obviously, geography has a huge thing. I mean, being born in Southern California is quite different than being born in Soweto. Oh, mm. <laughs> man. So, uh, obviously, that has a huge factor or a huge impact on who I am. I don't, I mean, that seems almost too obvious to talk about. <laughs> yes. I mean, now within whether I'd been born in Pacoima or Beverly Hills, well, that makes a big difference too. <laughs> yeah. It turns out actually I was born in Beverly Hills on the, on the very fringes and we quickly left. 
<laughs> they had you pink. They knew. Get this. Get these people out of here. They do not belong here. <laughs> I'm just hearing getaway music with people with brooms chasing after your. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I I grew up in. Um, uh, well, San Diego for the first, I mean, I had Beverly Hills for like two years or three years. And then we moved to San Diego, moved three or four times down there. And then ended up, and then I was in Lakewood from the, from the third grade till I uh, left home. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what else. I, you know, I, I, I have so little interest in the past that I just don't even know how to talk about it. I, who, I don't, I don't know. You, you may be more interested in my past than I, I am. Know, I pretty well heard every story here. And I mean, my view is that now my responsibility is just to remember aspects of your past that you forget. Oh, good. If you can add something to this, please do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it just dawned on me that I can feel this becoming a show. I can feel me uh, becoming my personality that I am when I'm here. Um, yeah, my spiritual advisor raised this with me because she said, particularly when people seek me out from, you know, model rail radio or the artificial life stuff or what have you, I tend to be a lot more quiet. I'm actually considerably more interested in studying people in Squish when they're in front of me than I am when I appear in an internet radio form. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, uh, in, yeah, well, that's a wise thing. In, in Squish, they can fucking punch you in the nose. Uh, if they don't like what you say. So it's, mm. it's wise to be careful about what you say there. Yes. But I think, I mean, it's interesting, actually, because in this form, I do exist in a different form than I exist in Squish. And it, my Squish yeah. form is attached to this monkey. Yeah. This big, bizarre-looking, somewhat yeah. irritable, <laughs> usually hasn't had enough sleep. Yeah. You know, yeah, this is a whole different this is this is the matrix. It's a it's a whole different world here. Yeah. But actually I can tell that you know that that we are becoming an entity here. The stone ape entity. Yeah, yeah, there's there's something that I mean I, I on some level I'm I'm beginning to play a role here. I'm beginning to uh to act like Heron Stone acts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to get complicated. It's fast. interesting, actually, because <laughs> early in our recording, maybe within the first three months of our recording, you had a head cold for one of the recordings, uh-huh. and you were a distinctly different person. Oh, really? Like you were irascible, and you really, <laughs> like you really just took exception to really? everything I said. And quite frankly, I got pissed off with it too. <laughs> I was playing into it. I need to actually find that show number and point yeah. people to it because it is yeah. a distinctly different form. Wow, that's than a standard stone yeah. ape. Well, it's, it's clear that uh, if yeah, that physical well-being is so important. I mean, I've been so blessed most yeah. of my life with good health and good energy. Yeah, uh, and once in a while I get sick, and God, it's just it just makes everything miserable. No, you really can tell the. I think there was only there was only one other time. It was a story associated with a piano where I told a story and then you wanted to tell us a story. And some reason we didn't. I, I proposed. <laughs> I guess we ended the podcast. And you said no. I'm telling this story. Damn it! But I edited all that out so people just get a nice flow through and miss out the irascible ones. Uh, yes. How long ago was that? Oh, that was within the first. That was within the first. Oh, okay. Recording. So then the real ver the full version is out there on my podcast. Yeah, I think you probably put it out sometime. <laughs> oh no, yeah, I put them all. I, I don't edit them, so yeah. yeah. 
I put out the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to find, well, we don't know what that is, and we, our numbers <laughs> yeah. are different too. So. So here's an interesting phenomenon, Heron. I under under my spiritual advisor's guide, I purchased what is called my cloud, which I've had a series of these terabyte drives from. Um, I think they're Western Digital drives or something, uh, USB drives. They now put out a wireless version of this. So for two hundred bucks. I got a four gig drive with wireless. Four gig or four terabyte? Sorry, four terabyte. Four terabyte yeah, drive for two hundred bucks, bucks on wireless. Yeah. Wow. So I plugged this in, and I thought, what I'm going to do is back up all my <laughs> podcasts because I I turned on Time Machine yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I thought I should back up all my podcasts too. How many gigabytes of podcasts do I have? Yeah. So thankfully, I have these pod crawlers, open source ones I found that would download all my feeds from all my different podcasts. I ended up with 20.5 <laughs> gigabytes worth of audio, yeah, which doesn't yeah. sound a lot, but it works well, no. out to <laughs> 31 days of 24-hour yeah. listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's just insane. Yeah, I have no idea. Well, I, I could find out, but I, yeah, I don't know what mine is. It's, it's up there. Yeah. 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 So that's PhD's worth of someone actually going through this thing after we... Oh, it's a major... Well, you know, just publishing my uh, my journals, you yeah. know. I mean, I don't know what the fuck's... You know, it's just there. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, there's a lot of material there. It's interesting, <laughs> actually, because having gone through the process of going through at least a dozen of your journals, I think the signal-to-noise ratio is sufficient that... I mean, I, I guess I pulled out maybe 20 pages out of every thousand that had reoccurring themes that could be talked about. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of nonsense in there. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, it wasn't meant, it wasn't written for anybody but me. Yeah. It was just, uh, it was a place to get idea to dump ideas that were in my mind at the moment. Yes. I didn't care whether I'd thought the same idea six weeks earlier. Yes. <laughs> you know? It's just, it was a place to to dump ideas and look at them, you know, and to write people's phone number. Well, as you've seen in shopping lists mm-hmm. and, you know, and draw pictures and mm. just, you know, it's just, it was so cool to have that with me. Wherever mm. And three distinct forms of handwriting that go through it. Yeah. Almost to the point where, yeah, where you'd wonder if there were three different people writing the journal. Well, there probably were. Yeah. At least three different people. Yeah. No, it's really, it's, it's, I mean, the handwriting was uh, a, something that I found kind of, passively interesting as i was reading yeah. through well it. some of it was very deliberate yeah you know and meant uh you know i mean i mean extreme i mean some of it was bordered on calligraphy you know mm. but well, uh, you had your own script for yeah well yeah so. and that and that but yeah. i mean uh and then some of it was just literally scribbled out really fast just you know to get something or people's phone numbers and shit yeah mm. yeah it's all over the place <laughs> so last weekend I found a website. Last weekend? Mm-hmm. Not last weekend. Do you always say last weekend? Weekend. Or weekend. Weekend? Weekend. Saturday. Last week. <laughs> no, no, it's just, I'm sorry. But those kinds of things interest me. I mean, we have, there, there are regional differences about pronunciations and things like this. And I was just, just curious if that's an Aussie pronunciation or... Uh, an, what you find if you look on Wikipedia is actually that I have predominantly, by inflection, a South Australian accent. Uh-huh. But if you look, there are also various regional elements that I get, plus the fact my father and places that I've lived. So oh yeah, you yeah. So you're this uh, yeah. plurality of these of things. all that anyway, stuff. Yeah. Speaking okay. of such, anyway, things. you can't identify it in particular. Last Saturday, 
I was doing something that I do periodically, maybe every three months. I have this rule, which is preferably minimal days of snow on an Amtrak route with land and... Now it's just land, actually. It used to be land and house. And I play this game about the US now. It used to be the UK, but now it's just the US. Associated with find a state, find the town in that state that has an Amtrak location with land nearby that's of a reasonable price. I found my my wife has two cousins, one of whom I've met at the grandmother's funeral, the other one who moved away at a relatively young age, who's married a fellow in uh, Arkansas. The Her sister, the cousin who I've met, moved to Arkansas with her child about a year ago. And my wife is sympathetic to going and living in this area, at least visiting So I played a game last Saturday associated with finding the nearest place that had an Amtrak station that had minimal amounts of snow in this area. I found this place called Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Now, our listener, Marty Fisher, lives in Missouri. He lives in the northern part of Missouri, not the southern part of Missouri. But this is right by the Ozarks. You can get for $90,000, 5 to 10 acres of fully wooded (laughs) land with a stream i hope yes okay it's looking good looking very very good so at the time my spiritual advisor said i don't know why you play this game because it's so you know you're always finding the next place that you're going to go to but through the week by seeing my week in particular because i've worked long hours this week and even now basically advised my co-workers that I was having three hours off and then I would be back on working from, you know, nine past nine this evening. She's come to the realisation that actually what I want to do is, you know, moderately feasible. However, certain stipulations have occurred. She, because part of this is actually associated with building a home. It isn't just with getting the land. It's now with... No, you got to have... Exactly. So I have three, the small home movement, which interestingly, Lorraine, our listener, yeah. is very familiar with. She apparently had talked to you independently about the small yeah. home movement. Yeah. I really like the small home movement because it ticks a number of boxes, first associated with artisanal craftsmanship of actually assembling houses, which I think is a skill that has been completely lost and living in California in these kind of cookie-cutter, <laughs> you, know, you know, toothpicks with paper wrapped around them kind of houses, you start to feel almost like you're a post-singular. So anyway, I have a very defined view of the area that I'm looking to move to and what I'd like to do there and the timeframes associated. And it's interesting, actually, because talking with my co-workers, a majority of them view what we are doing currently will probably exist for only some say five, some say 10, some say 15 years. But there is pretty well universal... Five seems closer to it to Well, me. you know, there are some interesting... Maybe 10. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, there's some interesting things associated with work that I do that could that could outlive the iOS oh, yeah. mobile phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, no, no, clearly this this field mm. is gonna has long legs. Mm. It's, just <laughs> trying it's, to pres- it's present yeah. form may yeah. change drastically. So, though. through this process... My spiritual advisor would now like me to do some building courses or at least something to show that I have some skill set. Now, you need to appreciate my uncle and to a lesser extent, actually, both my uncles, uh, my, a maternal uncle, a paternal uncle, 
but also, actually, now my cousins in Australia are building their own houses. Well, it's not exactly rocket science. Exactly. Jesus Christ, you know, you read a couple books, you could probably do it. Yes. I mean, the, the, <laughs> most, the most difficult part is actually local codes. Yeah, you yeah, dealing with need, the government. You need to you know the interaction with the government yeah. is the most difficult part. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, building a house is relatively straightforward. Yeah. It's just that, yeah, yeah, you got to uh, uh, yeah, obey their codes. Yeah. And the idea of actually having land that is heavily forested so you could use timber that you had sourced locally, all these kind of things. Well, that ain't going to last, though. That's not a way to <laughs> – you can't rely on that. Well, I mean, if that's part of your purchase, then well, yeah, and then you and then you cut down all the trees, and you then don't cut down all the trees. Harry. Well, you will eventually. Somebody no. will. No. If that's what you're using as a source of energy, then uh, no, 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 I'm not talking about using it as a source of energy. I'm using, talking about using it as a source of construction. Oh, okay. Not oh, okay. That you're, yeah. You don't. You're okay. sawing it down for firewood. Oh, okay. All right. Good. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Although yeah, you sure. can plant eucalyptus. Although that's a have... problem. You, you don't. You need to age the wood. You need to dry it out. That could take a long time. No, it takes a season. You build. I mean, I've I've witnessed people do this. Okay, in so this, all right. So this is not a big deal. Then you just have to. It's a multi-year issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Cut it down. Let it age. Then build yeah. the. See, okay. Yeah. And you you create a. A shelter structure to build it under initially, and then you can use that after the fact. I mean, there are a wide variety of ways of doing this thing. It's not rocket science. These days, you can actually have someone take the timber, mill it for you, age it for you, and then bring it back if you don't want to even construct something. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's all sorts. Yeah, you can do as much or as little as you want. You can pay somebody to build the whole goddamn thing. Certainly. (laughs) Yeah. So, wide variety of possibilities here, but I think the, the sense of what about internet in a place like this? Uh, well, you see, the interesting thing about Poplar Bluff is it's a combination of these densely forested parcels of land, and then two miles in Poplar Bluff, Bluff proper, there is medical facilities, uh, physiotherapy, dentist, you know, everything that you'd need and, in terms of civilization. And so you can get high-speed internet yes. where you in your location. Yes. Okay, that's all it takes, man. Yes. That's all it takes. Uh, Not yeah. satellite, though. It's cable or, cable. or Wi-Fi or something. Cable. Yeah. yeah. So it is something that uh, slowly but surely <laughs> I'm uh, convincing others around me that um, this is uh, a civilized way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea of my vision is a little bit different. I I, want, I see, you know, basically like a shipping container that I can fly out in a helicopter and drop somewhere and it'll have everything I want. Yes. The internet connection, energy, food. <laughs> well, the small the small home movement would in in part have you buy a trailer and then build a house on the trailer and then have the trailer move there so you're not flying yeah. it in, but you yeah. can road courier it in. Yeah, but I want to go to places that I can't drive to. I want to drop it down somewhere really remote. Yes. And well, then leave without leaving a footprint. Yeah. That all seems – yeah, my ideas have really changed about that since our conversation last week. Actually, I hadn't thought about that because I'd really been focusing on the central core of, of the population, mm. on, you know, on these dense uh, superstructures, which I think probably are inevitable and useful and good. But I, I hadn't really thought about these other options, and there's really no reason why 
in that kind of society, you couldn't have these modules. You could just fly out and drop down. Anytime you wanted to get away, you could just go get away yeah. and stay as long as you want. Yeah. <laughs> Except for when you have to show up to work, which would be, you know, like I say, one month a year. You'd have to go work somewhere and do something useful. But um, so after that, yeah. You know, I mean, one of the outstanding questions from my spiritual advisor is associated exactly with that work phenomena. And I guess my view is that if, I mean, part of the part of the move agreement is to actually either create work or create sustenance sufficient that obviously this would be an acceptable way of doing things. I mean, you know, it has, you have to have those things in place. I don't understand what you're saying. Try again. Okay. So your, your dream is associated with this small percentage of work a year, what have you. Yeah. Say a month. That's probably less. I'm I'm talking about in 10 years time for me specifically. Oh no, that isn't that fast. No, exactly. So part of the agreement to go to Poplar Bluff is to create a, an ability to earn a living. Ah, yeah. With that. Well, that's the whole thing is who you got to create a living where they don't need your fucking monkey. Yes. You know, so it doesn't make any difference where you are. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm shooting for at some point here is uh, a way to make a living on the web, you know, so that I can show up, to, you know, online and do what needs to be done and get paid for it. So we now enter into the Joe the Drama question. How's your wine glass looking, by the way? Oh, it's uh, full. It's full still. Okay, let's get into the Joe the Drama question. So. Joe writes, hello, enjoying the podcast as ever. Here are some thoughts, questions. Number one. Most of what Heron proposes in terms of future plans for humans is predicated on the majority of the population not being a bunch of language monkeys. Not the majority, all. <laughs> he's, he's using you to mean me and Heron to mean you. Okay, let me reread that. No, I read his question. He said it just right. Most of what I'm saying is predicated on the rest of or on a majority of people not being language monkeys. That's the first paragraph. Right. Then the second yeah. paragraph reads... Most of what you, meaning me, you, ah, yeah. Okay, let me reread this. Yeah, because he wrote to you. Yes. Most of what Tom Tom. proposes (laughs) is predicated on the majority of humans being complete fucking idiots. (laughs) And what we do within the confines of that reality. Yeah. Is that a fair assessment, albeit very general? Well, I, I, I can all, yeah, I say you're right on for me. You'll have to speak for yourself. I, yeah, my view is that it, it's the difference, I think, between being a futurist and just existing. And my sense is I'm not a futurist. So I have to deal with the constraints that are provided yeah. to me and irk away. Yeah, somebody's got to, yeah, somebody's got to do that where there are a lot of jobs. They're not in conflict with each other. Certainly. You know, uh, they're all important. The, the, the transition is incredibly important. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm just more interested in what the final product's going to look like and, and sort of interested in seeing how what we're doing now can shape the final product. But uh, that's, that's just my perspective. Yes. Question number two from Joe the Drummer. Are we done with that one? I guess we are. I mean, that's simple, just a simple definition. Yes, question. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, yeah. no. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, next question. I don't have a particular good understanding of science. I didn't find science interesting as far as the particulars go, but I'm quite interested in, say, reading a layman's book about physics, psychology, or how computers work. I realize this doesn't give me much insight into the scientific realms of human knowledge. 
At the same time, I'm extremely concerned about the use of nuclear power, fracking, certain things about modern medicine, genetic modification of food, and so on. Does my lack of scientific mm. knowledge mean that I'm not entitled to a view about <laughs> the use of certain technologies? Yeah. Uh, for example, my uh, ability to evaluate such things as the Fukushima situation is entirely related to whether I believe a certain source or uh, the answer is yes. You're not entitled to an opinion unless you actually know what the fuck you're doing. And the truth is, most of us don't. So we're stuck in a situation where uh, where we where we don't know, and we have to do the best we can. Unless you're going to take the time to actually learn, and that, of course, is a pain in the ass. <laughs> you, there needs to be some sort of commitment there. But other than that, uh, yeah, I would say you know, act on your heart. Uh, but but have a little humility and realize you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Hmm. Yes. I've never been afraid of an opinion. And I think the the notion that you need scientific understanding in order to make a value judgment evaluation of scientific practices, I find actually quite an interesting... Well, it's true for some kinds of things and not true at all for other kinds of things. It, 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 every situation is unique, I think. Yeah, I did a, a batch listen to various C-Realm podcasts that I'd missed recently. And the reaffirmation associated with our, our good friend and cat lover, P. Coyle, struck me that... It's one of these interesting arguments because people outside the, the peak oil narrative have, have never really gone through the process associated with why would they be now starting to do, you know, fracking or, you know, looking through shale for oil yeah. or all these kind of questions because yeah. there's just a plentiful, you know, <laughs> reserve of... we got all the oil. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It is curious because I guess, I guess I'm... I I love energy fatalism. Someone asked about this last week. I think it was Lorraine. I love the idea that we will eventually just have a blackout, or you know, cars will. <laughs> you, just what do you mean you love the, the idea? Because this is I'm I'm a pedestrian. I don't the whole notion of automobiles yeah. and petroleum. Oh yeah, stuff, automobiles will be gone. I think that's pretty clear. That's yeah, the, so one of the dumbest things we ever came up with. <laughs> but it is interesting what replaces the automobile in this circumstance. Yeah. I mean, my view is actually that. W- Humans say what you will. Traveling about their, Starbucks is yeah, what I see. <laughs> yeah, say what you will about their language monkey tendencies. The tenaciousness of you know innovation in these circumstances. I'm really. I hope it happens. That's why my I'm lifetime. so optimistic. Yes, I think when when it really gets down to it, you know, people can deal with this, but they're just not willing to look at it yet. Yeah, but but when it comes down to well, they'll fall off on one side or the other. other, They'll either become a deadly threat or they'll become your ally. And I mean, one point I wanted to make to Timothy Charles Moorhead associated with firearms is that in these circumstances, you run. Like if you're confronted with a bunch of angry language monkeys that are armed, particularly if you're if you have to run, you weren't paying attention. You should have known long before (laughs) the language monkeys were going to come for you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You never really know when they're going to come for you, Harris. I don't know. Yes, it is. You got to keep your eye on the ball, man, because they could snap at any moment. Keep your uh, eye on the mob. That's right. Yes. So keep your eye on the mall. I think that's the the modern way of saying it. (laughs) Yes. 
it is an interesting phenomenon, actually. We've talked about this occasionally. But I now do all my shopping. I was thinking this, actually, mm. because we don't even go... We used to go to the mall to go to the, the cinema. We don't even go to no, the I'm Well, I go to the movie once in a while for special effects movie. Yeah. You know, just because it's better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but for any normal movie, why the fuck would I do all that? Yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing. I buy everything online. Two days later, it shows up. You know, I go, oh, yeah, I forgot I got, yeah, there, just what I wanted. Now, cool. <laughs> the mall just strikes me. I mean, when I do go back to the mall, I am thankful that there are fewer and fewer crowds, although I've heard through the- <laughs> are, Is that true? Is that, because I, mean, I haven't one in years. Are yeah, they, no, this is they exactly getting to lose business? Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, progressively, they lose. And my hope is. More and I mean, more people are shopping online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. My hope is that, as is the phenomena in, in many malls, including one relatively close to where we live, Things like model railroad clubs move into the vacant spaces. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. And Zen centers. Yeah. And exactly. dance studios. Like the wrench is just so far yeah, through yeah, the floor. Yeah. That's right. Nice places, too. That's right. And you could turn them into ha- living habitats, exactly. too. They could be used. Yeah, there's a lot of good architecture around that we could find very useful. There's a lot useful. of bad architecture that could be repurposed. That could be repurposed. Yeah, things. right. Yeah, there's all sorts of. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. once we kill capitalism, man, we've got a lot of good stuff here. <laughs> so, anyway, question three from Joe the Drummer. What was two? Uh, two was associated with whether you could have a scientific opinion if you didn't have scientific oh, knowledge. I think that's important. I don't want to just dismiss that because that, that's most people. I, see, I've – well, I'm, you know, I'm real deeply into some really narrow areas, but I've, I was just realizing that I, I've read science news now for like 40 years. Yes. And – Every week, it well, now it's every two weeks, but it, it gives you an overview, basically, of all of the more or less hard science, physics, chemistry, uh, materials science, psychology, sociology, cover, you know, just short little articles, just, you know, and then usually uh, two in-depth articles about one particular subject. And after reading that for like 40 years, um, I feel like I have some sort of sense of the overall um, scientific understanding of the world, okay? And, and in some depth in my own field. And it's hard for me to imagine how anybody could come to something like that without having done just what I did. You know, uh, reading a popular book on physics, on quantum theory, um, or something, depends on, of course, the book. Some of them are pretty good. A lot of them are sort of stupid, and um, I don't know, man. I, I think science is really important, and I think it's important to have a good grasp of the overall reach of science and what it knows and what it thinks it knows as opposed to what it really knows and on and on. A couple so, of trivial questions along the slide. Mm-hmm. Do you still get a physical paper copy of Science News? No, I, ju- no, I just uh, switched it over to there's the an iPad version of it. Very now. good. Yeah, thank goodness. Yes, so much better. Very good. And the online site, too. I really recommend Science News, uh, a subscription to it. It's uh, I think a new subscriber can get it for like 30 bucks a year. Uh, Do you have a grandfather subscription? What's your... No, it's no. They don't give that. You, you pay the price. Okay. <laughs> you know, but but the point is, is that it's when you go to their website, uh, th- there's no ads, there's no nothing, man. There's just science. 
You know, no bullshit. It's, it's just all science. There's no, nothing. It's just science. So what you're paying for is really good information. They got good writers. They've been, they've been around for like 70 years. Uh-huh. You know, it's. So where does, where does Scientific American or New Scientist come in science news? Um, well, those are magazines. Science news is really more like a, actually it's, it's, it's gone downhill. I think in the last few years, it used to be a weekly 16 pages. Yes. Now it's bi-weekly 32 pages. It's a lot more like a magazine now. Right. I don't like that. Uh, yeah. I liked getting it weekly and when it was small enough to yeah. fold in half and stick in my journal. But of course now it goes in my <laughs> iPad, so it doesn't make any difference, but I like the weekly format. But in any case, um, it's it's just very different. Like I say, it most of it, I'd say fifty percent of it is articles that are only three or four paragraphs. Yes, and there'll be two, one or two, or maybe three articles that are two or three pages that are in depth into some particular subject. But there's a lot of just uh, hitting the highlights of some research somewhere or this or that in all these different fields. Yes, my with links to you know to follow up on it. Yeah, certainly. My uncle had a subscription to both New Scientist and Scientific American through the eighties. Yeah, in fact, from the seventies through to the eighties, mid seventies on, and he would send me bricks of these magazines as a child, probably when I was ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Oh, those were great. I loved Scientific American. Yeah. Oh yeah. I I found them fascinating as well. yeah. Yeah. However. In my mid early to mid twenties, I had various. I mean, there were various kind of run-ins that I had with both those magazines. Um, now I can't even find. I mean, I can actually. I can remember what happened with New Scientist. New Scientist ran uh, a Dawkins article on how um, the September eleventh. It was some really strange thing that had nothing to do with science. Yeah. I can't recall the exact details, but it was basically Dawkins's claims that the September 11th hijackers were, you know, basically damned the Muslim religion, that, you know, you couldn't take anything associated with the Muslim religion seriously because of the September 11th hijackers. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think the numerical system, um, basically what happened through the Dark Ages associated with the maintenance of various aspects of science, although this isn't, you know, broadly talked about. <laughs> there are a wide variety of really interesting things that actually Islam had did um, through... Oh, well, that was some time ago, I believe. Well, this is interesting, <laughs> you know. This is interesting because it's it's an interesting... The, the series of claims, This there's a... Um, your friends. The criticism of Islam is is a criticism of a certain kind of Islam, same as Christianity. You can find Christians who are not idiots. Yes, there well, are Christians who are not idiots. I haven't seen any lately, but I'm sure there are. You know, but this is the interesting point. I mean, the thing about Sam Harris, I've actually, I've actually gone back and this is interesting. I, I've not even thought I'd talk about this, but I'll mention this. I went back. I've listened to actually to more of Joe Rogan's podcast since my friend Lorenzo Haggard he was on. I've now actually, although it hasn't yet arrived, ordered some of the um, alpha brain vitamins that, uh, or whatever they are, extracts that Rogan peddles at the start of his show. I've been listening to it so frequently. Anyway, he had on Sam Harris. And well, I you're going to give us a report on that. When, you haven't got him yet. No, huh? no. I'm, I'm, my interest actually, it's a thir- it's a three, it's a thirty day dose. 
So I will take. And you should distance. notice the results by the end of that thirty days. Yeah, I, I'm very, I'm very well aware of various toxicology symptoms, and if I feel any of those, I'll stop it. Yeah. So if I've had five days and I hit any of that, I'm just going to stop it. But I will certainly report on it because I think it's. Yeah. I've always been interested in the, you know, the brain enhancing, you know, claims yeah. of certain yeah. things, and I'm relatively close to. Modafinil is the one I'm interested yeah. in. <laughs> anyway. I was listening to Sam Harris and he was saying, you know, there's this liberal bias that says that if you say anything against Islam, you're considered Islamophobic and you can't say anything against Islam. And Oh, it's amazing of all this liberal bias. And I listened to it and I just thought he clearly does not understand. I mean, either he doesn't know about or he just doesn't appreciate, you know, the phenomena that led up to September 11th. I mean, he thinks of this narrative associated with a very finely, neatly distributed Western media view of what's been going on in the past 10, 15 years where we are the victims of these Islamic terrorists. Well, see, I don't know that that's true or not. You you, you make that assertion. That's what that would he be, says. Well, like I say, for me to make a real judgment on another person, I got I would have to sit down and talk to that person, well, and ask them very specific questions. What they write, what they say. These things we must discard. They are no, not discard. No, no, they're part of the they're part of the 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 record. Yes, they're just their shtick. In order no. to understand the person, you must get deep. Forget well, what they my, say. Forget what they write. Yes, forget and, how well, they make. No, I'm not saying forget it. I'm saying. To, to really seriously be able to judge another person's work or that person, I would have, I would not feel comfortable doing that just on what they've written. You know, I'd have to sit down and talk with them and ask them about, I'd, I'd have, you know, like I say, man, I'd have to sit down with Mandela and ask him, what do you think about this thing here that happened, you know, in 1978? You know, uh, yeah, other, other than that, I'm just dealing with these stories and abstractions. So, honestly, you, particularly because you're a hermit by your own definition, you must have virtually no resolution associated with these kind of... No, I don't even care about these That's things. exactly my point. Yeah, right. That yeah. basically... My focus is on creating a new planet, and yeah. all, the pathology of the caterpillar is not of much interest to me. Yeah. Question three from Joe the Drummer. Since that the Earth is populated with language monkey idiots, I'm worried that every advancement in technology just increases the power of the so-called 1% and the corporations. Is there any merit to that view in your eyes? Mm. Must be our collective eyes. Yeah. Mm. Sure. Yeah, we've got to be wary. <laughs> That's for sure. Again, the only hope I see is in... Getting rid of the language monkeys, waking you know up the next generation of children, so that they don't grow up to be a bunch of stupid, unconscious language monkeys. Uh, if 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 we're stuck with language monkeys, I, I I just don't see anything but sad times ahead. <laughs> you know, we so, got it's time to wake up. <laughs> so it's interesting actually because the counterexample that I've used to this in our discussions historically was McKenna's analysis of what happened in Europe after the Second World War. The, not necessarily, well, basically, the popular elimination of militarism as being an acceptable narrative, and the effects of defeat in all its guises being fully 
absorbed and psychologized through the population. I think there are things that, I mean, the interesting point, the interesting criticism about the absolute description that you give is that there must be things that move into that. It has to be a procession towards what you describe. And through going through those movements, there needs to be some degree of incremental change. So there have to be things that are resolved on the way to what you describe. And I guess that's the broader, the the question that was asked associated with... Those are the tough questions. (laughs) A stylistic thing that I wanted to put out to the listeners, which have come up previously, but I wanted to make perfectly explicit, is that there there are times where Heron will say... I don't know how it's going to go. In fact, if you embrace your lack of knowing how things are going to turn out. I've got ideas, yeah. but I certainly don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think in contrast, uh, in contrast, I'm more interested in asserting certain ideas in that circumstance. I mean, obviously, there's no way to have complete surety. But if you can construct, no matter how wild and you know crazy it might sound, if you can construct some possible pathways yeah that's very helpful more something to think about yeah yeah yeah, absolutely certainly yeah well that's why my again why i focus on the idea of educating children in a a long-term approach 30 years from now they're going to be a lot different people here than there are now yeah 40 50 years from now they're going to be some most of them won't even have been born yet (laughs) and uh how they think is going to determine the fate of this planet, it seems to me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to, again, disagree with you slightly associated with uh, Joe the Drummer's question here. Mm-hmm. My view is actually that technology in its rawest form should be something that individuals, independent of corporations, can empower themselves with. And that, I think, is an interesting phenomenon, the ability for technology. How is that, wait a minute. How is that differing from what anything I said? Since the Earth is populated with language monkey idiots. I am worried that every advancement in technology just increases the power of the so-called 1% and the corporations. Yeah. Is there any merit to that view in your eyes? Okay. You answered in the affirmative. Um, well, hardly, but I mean, yeah, I said yes. There. Okay, anyway, go on. All right. So, I mean, my sense is that the interesting thing with technology, and this is a wide variety of different things, not just computers here, is that the individual can empower themselves independently <laughs> of the Stone Ape podcast, the corporations, <laughs> and can do things which are removed from that whole paradigm, basically. And I think this is an interesting thing to consider oh, yeah. that rather than it is really to do with the perception of you know, your interaction with the broader environment here, I will put back to Joe the drummer, your view that this occurs may be motivating you not doing what is necessary to actually self-empower yourself in these circumstances. Well, I think there are different technology. There may be, I mean, nuclear energy is something that's that's not something that I can use to empower myself. Mm. But but some of the computer technology certainly is personally empowering other technologies is in fact i think probably only empowering to uh, multinational corporations yeah they can take advantage of certain things that i certainly can't but but there's plenty i can take advantage of though question number four from show the driver this is i think actually a really important question to all our listeners because there's a considerable number of you that we still need to hear from question four is 
I have no idea what sort of questions are relevant to the podcast or not. Do you have a things that make Tom cringe set of guidelines? Considering I have been listening since a long time ago and feel somewhat in the dark, is it possible other people would like more info too? This is a valid question. This Listen, a we're question. in the dark. Let me explain <laughs> this phenomenon to you, okay? I enjoy recording these podcasts. I think the listener to these podcasts is actually, I'm concerned that listening to these podcasts becomes a satire in and of themselves. The, the podcast is far too narrowly focused on some dominant narrative associated with language monkeys, the next 20 <laughs> to 50 years, and these kind of things. My view is actually, there's, let me give an example through the week, okay? I am, in almost all circumstances, polite to a fault in my work environment. I open doors for people. This week, I opened the door for a woman, and instead of walking through and grunting, which is normally the way this procedure goes, she said to me, you have on a really nice dress shirt. Then she walked through the door. This left me flummoxed. (laughs) This was the second time in my life that just some random female had commented positively on my clothing. It was a phenomena that I wasn't... It doesn't exist in my universe. I wear utilitarian clothes. I iron them every morning. I put them on. I go to work. The notion of an other entity commenting in a positive light associated with my clothing was beyond any component of my simulated environment. Our listener Lorraine has an academic background in, like, feminist academia. There are so many topics within this form that I would like to cover. I think moving out of various comfort zones is interesting, but focusing more heavily on Drummer's question here, I'd like to see far more interactive kind of humanizing related questions through this. Mm. One of the interesting phenomena associated with recording these podcasts and actually making something that people enjoy to listen to is that I have a relatively short attention span, particularly for, for most topics, but for topics that aren't, 100% 100% on talking points <laughs> that I want to talk about. I have relatively, which is very interesting with model rail radio, because what it does is it produces a phenomena of 15 to 30 minute segments on model rail radio. Some listeners complain that that's too short, that I should dig deeper, that I should get more information out. In response, I just show them the majority of listeners that actually like that format. I think the same is true with Stone Ape. I think people feel that there are dominant themes that go through this. But that is actually an illusion of our wrapping. I think people should get far more creative associated with the topics that they throw out there. In particular, I think we're, although roughly a third of our listeners are women, I think there are probably topics that they could throw out there that were considerably more interesting than the topics that we get given periodically. So yeah, I'm, I'm really, up for anything. I, yeah. Yeah. I'd really encourage our listeners to move the questions outside our comfort zone. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't worry about what you think we want to talk about. Exactly. <laughs> what do you want to talk most about? Most of the time you're going to be wrong with that. Let me yeah. just put that out there. Anyway. Yeah. I agree completely. What do you want to, what, what ideas are you interested in? Yes. You being the listener. And, um, yeah. And if I'm not interested in it, then I won't have much to say about it. Yes. It is actually, it's an interesting luck of the draw that I think the listeners should be considerably more experimental with the questions to actually see how far we can go with this thing. Yeah, yeah. The final question from Joe the Drummer. Please talk more about Sheldrake. Hmm. 
I think he has something very interesting to say, and I would like to hear what you both think about his work, if you know a bit more about it. I sent Heron a clip of him giving a lecture. I don't know if, uh, again, I think he means me when he says you have the time, uh, with your 10 hours of Netflix per week. He then goes on to say derogatory things about Netflix. I've watched, I've watched Sheldrake, I mean, I've listened to Sheldrake through the trialogues, and I've watched Sheldrake through his TED talk. That's the only, uh, mainly because TED pulled it. It's interesting actually listening to Sheldrake in the context of the trialogues because he sounds a lot more like a scientist really in that context. And it's interesting because my view of, as we talked about last week, the uh, morphic resonance or the morphogenetic fields is very much along the lines of unknown science as opposed to kind of prescriptive mysticism. But when I listen to him talk, particularly at the TED conference, it seems considerably more about mysticism, which I actually find very frustrating. My interpretation of Sheldrake that I that stays with me, independent of his actual work, is very much more about the boundaries of science and what, what is yet to be discovered. I love the stuff associated with variable constants, because that was the thing as I studied physics that I realised that actually, if you looked at the speed of light as a variable, a variable that changes within, you know, certain ranges, but say 10% variability, you get to into really interesting physics that could actually completely change the contemporary paradigm. But obviously, if you view it as a constant and then you set up, you know, distance based on it and all these other things, then yes, you are going to be in a circumstance that we find ourselves in today. Large Hadron Collider, no chance of a paradigm change anytime soon. So that's my view as a part of Sheldrake. I have other things, but Heron, in terms of your reading, understanding of Sheldrake. Could you give some introduction to that, at least? Well, I listened to that um, talk that Joe sent me the link to. Was it the TED talk, I mean, or was it another talk? No, it was just a talk where he sort of summarized his work. It was about an hour and 20 minutes oh, okay. or something like okay. that. And, um, and you know, it sounds really good, <laughs> the way he explains it, you know. Yeah. And he, he cites all these uh, cases, you know. But again, if Citing cases is different than actually reading, you know, the write-ups on yeah. the, the research. So, um, and I haven't done any of the work, so I, I just don't know. It, it's an interesting idea. I, I hope it's true. <laughs> I'm, in a sense, I'm building my life on that it's true. Um, yes. You know, actually, it doesn't really make any difference in that sense. I'm just going to, I, I actually have assumed it's true. I'm assuming that everything I do is not wasted. Yes. That everything I do has some impact beyond even what I might know. And that's just sort of my starting point. Yeah, the now, role of speciation in the morphic resonance idea I found quite interesting. Because, I mean, I view myself as being physically, potentially even genetically, very different from regular humans. And the notion that the stuff that I do through the morphic resonance idea needs to gel with other humans is a very curious one to me. It's not that it becomes part of a kind of guile-like system. It is that the interaction relates to kind of inter or of the same species communication, yeah. which I've always found rather strange in Sheldrake's analysis. Well, the idea of a species becomes questionable yes. at some point, though. I mean, there are not really nothing but individuals. Yeah. Uh, species is a nice abstraction. <laughs> yes. Yes. But in broader terms, uh, I, I guess the, 
the interesting part is that probably the stuff that really interests me comes more from McKenna than it comes from Sheldrake. Having them rapping together, because, I mean, McKenna is beautifully fringes of science in terms of... <laughs> That's a polite way of putting it. Well, you know, <laughs> modern sciences give us one miracle and we can explain everything else, which yeah. is just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But true, love, you yeah. know, I mean, that's the nature yeah. of the Big Bang in a kind of yeah, right, phenomenological yeah. sense. Yeah, we just assume all this and then from there on, it's pretty easy. It just unfolds. Yes. Yeah. The problem is that first thing, though... <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem's also in the unfolding as well. I mean, the it's it's interesting that well, there's some controversies just come up in the last week or so about uh, this inflationary, or not just in the last week, but there there is a a group of physicists who think the inflationary model of the Big Bang is just a joke. Yeah. That it's just uh you know it's a convenient <laughs> thing that they posited to make sense out of everything, but that that it really doesn't make any sense at all. So yeah, yeah, there's. <laughs> it's interesting actually. I. I look back at the astrophysicists that I've known that have been genuinely smart. And actually, the only guy who I know of in that group, aside from actually one other fellow who I, who was a professor at university, who I had a lot of time for, uh, now works at Netflix. He's the co-worker kind of place, <laughs> the fellow who I went to university with, who was an astrophysicist for probably, I don't know, four years of his career. And then he got into computation and never looked back. So, yeah, it is a curious field, uh, astrophysics, just as a who gets into it, who stays in it, and what – Fairly rarefied uh, you know, community. Well, yeah. How many astrophysicists are in, are in the world? I mean, <laughs> you know – Probably well, in I'd, terms of in terms of graduates, there are probably considerably more than actually. Well, yeah, but I mean, that are actually field. working. Yeah, there are probably a lot. Of, well, there are probably a lot of people with bachelor's degrees or maybe even master's degrees. I think in order, no, to be frank, in order from my classification, in order to be an astrophysicist, you need to have a PhD. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is is you need a PhD and you need to be doing it, still too. doing it. Yeah, you know, I suspect. Uh, I suspect there aren't that many. Yeah, I mean, what a couple thousand? I would, I would imagine in the tens of thousands, because there are still, there are still professions where they're well, there are universities where they teach it, so they gotta have. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, NASA actually, there are professional space organizations that still has that have astrophysicists within them yeah. as well. I mean, yeah. NASA, for example. But I mean, still, on a planet of seven billion people, ten thousand is a relatively small community. Yeah, but it's an well, whatever. It's what it is, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I guess I'm more McKenna than I am Sheldrake, but I still like aspects of Sheldrake. But even those aspects are a reinterpretation. Well, of the Sheldrake man, so. is is. I mean, he's not. I mean, fucking McKenna is just a nut, man. He's just he just says shit that makes you stop in your tracks and go, huh? <laughs> you know? Do you feel that? Uh, he did. Well, I mean, not so much now, but I mean, when I first started listening yeah. to him. The yeah. funny thing is that actually, I listened to McKenna, and I'm like. I'm really glad that someone else out there has actually thought that. McKenna is yeah. actually someone who makes me feel considerably more normal. Really? Well, for it, again, it's different now than when I first started listening to him. I mean, there were times when I didn't know as much as I know today. And, and you know, was uh, considerably stupider and more unconscious than I am today. And yeah. uh, I would You need say to appreciate the whole the nature of the early development of Noble Ape. And then to have someone... 
in a relatively similar time frame, maybe slightly earlier, maybe around the same time. Maybe there's, there's morphic resonance right here, folks. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the scared ape descending from the trees and the nature of predators and all his narrative associated yeah. with primates is just basically noble ape. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it astonishes me catching it. I mean, now I've heard him, you know, I've probably heard a hundred plus hours worth of McKenna at least. Yeah. So I have a good sense of the man's material. But when I first heard that, it was literally someone else has actually had experience or not experience, but experiential enough to say it out loud. Yeah. He's just talking analysis. about this stuff. Yeah. 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 And, you know, the, the funny thing is that I, my listening to McKenna has been very selectively censored. I mean, Lorenzo Hegarty has, has done an amazing editorial job of removing vast quantities of time wave zero kind of stuff. I mean, basically McKenna that I know is, has been heavily edited from the actual man. And that is the only yeah. interesting, you know. Yeah, that's, that, which is not the case with me. Yes. It, it's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that doesn't impress me all that much. Basically, McKenna, I just like listening to him talk. Yeah. I just think he's fun to listen to. Yeah, very much so. His language machine makes the most interesting connection. I mean, he's just not like any, he speaks like nobody else I've ever heard. Mm. You know, and I just enjoy listening to him speak. Yeah, the luxury of reading the stuff that, I mean, I've always, I, I talked to KMO about this as well, the luxury of reading. The notion that McKenna read for large periods of time in order to do his speaking. Yeah. So, you know, he surveyed various books and from that pointed out, you know, very interesting connections that requires someone to have done the reading. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just luxurious stuff in his general discourse. <laughs> he is one of my favorites. He was a yeah, big influence on me. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because I was initially very skeptical of him, mainly because my exposure to him came through Douglas Rushkoff. And the stuff that Rushkoff was saying about him made me think that he was, um, uh, what's the, uh, <laughs> what's the catcher and the writer? My mind is just not here this evening. A phony. Yeah. He had all of the smatterings of phonyism, um, <laughs> in, uh, his, uh, you know, the stuff that Rushkoff talked about. But then when I started hearing him speak, of course, my initial reaction was, oh, it's that phony. But then yeah. actually hearing him speak. Eventually, we yes. broke through that. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's, <laughs> you know who he reminds me of, his voice? He sounds like Catherine Hepburn. Ah. <laughs> if you, you, next time you listen to him, think yeah. about Catherine Hepburn. I only have small, <laughs> I mean, my exposure to Catherine Hepburn probably comes from four television interview well late yeah. yeah late in her life yeah yeah when she had that sort of wavering voice yeah. you know yeah 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 <laughs> yeah so we're now in the uncharted territory of random topics that i haven't had the opportunity to fully bake for stone Ape, but i'm going to throw out there anyway which seems to be a fan favorite or quickly becoming a fan favorite <laughs> actually it's a quickly becoming a hero and for this part well. of the show yeah this part of the show folks <laughs> We almost need theme music for the various parts of the show. Really, we need to turn this into a real show now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with theme music for the different segments and everything. Cool. Yes. And then we can get some sponsors, maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll get rich and famous. Yes. Anyway, so speaking of that, I, I've been 
as as has been a familiar theme for recent weeks, I've been forced at gunpoint to watch ten hours of Netflix. <laughs> I think they'd be well. Like, they are actually Netflix is actually following enough sponsoring. Well, the money they pay you, you know, yes. you just have to figure it in to the hourly wage that you're getting yeah, for editing, or whether it's worth it or not. Yes. You know, yeah. Two programs I would have never have even dreamt of watching, but just through this fact where I. It was the least offensive of what I was exposed to. <laughs> Actually, you're in an ideal position, you know? You've got an excuse <laughs> to watch anything you want, you know? It's yeah, this is the McKenna style. Um, <laughs> are you familiar with the work of Werner Herzog? He, well, a little bit. I've seen some of his German films. documentary. Yeah. Uh, he did yeah. Grizzly Man. He's done a variety of yeah. documentaries. Yeah, yeah. I watched... Um, Oh, what's it called? Into the Abyss, which is yeah. a documentary about two kids. There are one's on death row, one isn't on death row, but they basically murdered the mother and then one kid who was the mother's kid, and then the friend, kid friend, was murdered as well over this car. When Herzog, I just find his documentaries. He his style is so um like socialist Europe in the framing of American <laughs> documentaries. Like, you know, he's very careful to note that, uh, you know, Jesus would find death penalty a sin, you know, to the death row inmate, all these, oh no, actually yeah. to the family member who was happy to go to the guy being executed. But um, he has this footage on, which you can see on YouTube of he moved to LA and he was interviewed by, after he moved to LA and some guy shoots him with an air rifle during the interview. It's the strangest thing. People should actually, if, if they have time, check this out on YouTube. Because so Werner Herzog air rifle will yes. find it? Yeah. Okay. All right. But um, this isn't one of the documentaries. This is just a documentary I've been watching. The, the two that I watched was, um, one was the history of the Bond movies, both in terms of the writing of the Bond stuff uh, and also the franchise and how it worked out up to from Cubby Broccoli through to to Barbara Broccoli now, which normally I would not have touched with a 10-foot pole, but because I'm interested in... And here again, my Friday night mind is useless. The author of the James Bond movies. Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming is just such a curious character in the history of kind of literature, because on one end, I don't know, I mean... Apparently, he was involved in various covert ops through the Second World War, but most of the time he just spent, you know, orchestrating these things remotely from the UK. But the notion of James Bond and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang both being (laughs) created by the same mind. Yeah, there's some hope after all. Are you, have you ever been exposed to Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? No, I'm afraid I missed that one. Aaron, my view is get an extra pipe of medicinal marijuana, maybe four or five. And watch Chitty Chitty Bang and Bang. Chitty Chitty, it is, have I ever told you about Pippi Longstocking? Uh, no, I don't recall. I Pippi missed that one too. Pippi Longstocking, I find, is a similarly annoying children's television program. This one was from the mid 80s. My brother, had like this unbelievable crush on Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> he carried around the Pippi Longstocking VHS for probably about a year and a half. I never actually talked to him after the fact associated with his relationship to yeah. this Pippi Longstocking thing. <laughs> Eventually, at some stage, and completely not intentionally, although no doubt my brother harbors this as something that I did that damaged his sexuality. I accidentally taped over the Pippi Longstocking video. Oh, no. Quite innocently. 
which then left to this, I guess, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, when I reflect back on this um, whole notion <laughs> of, um, you know, what, what, I don't know what frames a young man's, like, sexual interest, the earliest experiences <laughs> that come, it's going around the, you know, the places in Italy. I mean, the Renaissance, the picturing of women through the Renaissance basically, you know, wrote my life in terms of my interest in, in women. But with him, it was this Pippi Longstocking thing, which just found, I found really, really surreal. <laughs> anyway, well, Chitty Chitty yeah, Bang Bang it's is... just what you focus on. You latch, yeah, at the right time, just like Alan Watson, yeah. you know, at the right right convergence of time of things, and you get one of these fixations. Yes. You know? yes. For him, it was Pippi Longstocking. For me, it was the mother of God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is similarly annoying, but just of an earlier generation. And so just- this is why you're recommending me because it's annoying. So I should <laughs> I should watch this because it's annoying. Because it, I, for me, it is just what a- is in it for me to watch this. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I suspect, actually, you probably have seen it, it's just a repressed memory. No, I haven't seen it. I think I went out of my way to make sure I missed it, probably. Yes, actually, you're right, because it it came out when you were past the age where you would be of a normal age to see it. Yeah, 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 I think, uh, well, what year was it, uh, when did it come out? I don't know, sometime in the 60s. Six, oh yeah, sure, I was taking books out the age to see it. What the fuck am I going to do, go watching... Chitty bang bang, you know. <laughs> yes. It was one of those things where as a child I was exposed to it because I would go over to someone's house and the parent would just this I guess I was a child <laughs> Here, early watch VHS. This. <laughs> yeah, sit down and watch this shit. <laughs> but the thing was I had um, some neighborhood you were talking last show about neighborhood girls. I had neighborhood girls that were close to me, probably three to five, maybe three years younger than me. And yes, that was the thing where I mysteriously found myself in this chitty chitty bang bang phenomena. <laughs> but when you follow it through, actually, the Bond films, it's interesting, actually, because um, the the only exposure I had to Bond was uh, the Timothy Dalton Bonds. Because no, that was that just the mean. age of that I was at the time. Ah, yeah. And that was apparently where Bond got nasty. I mean, there was the one that I saw, I must have been 12 at the time, had um, like a hyperbaric chamber explosion. There was a lot of nudity and shooting and things like that. And now Bond, to, although actually having seen this documentary on Bond, the recent Bonds do look interesting. I might go and watch them just in terms of the ridiculous stuff they're sort of fun movies you know the ones with daniel craig you're talking about yeah the most recent ones yeah 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 Yeah. i don't have a lot of time for um well you got 10 hours a week (laughs) yeah the thing is i'm still i still i still invest that means you can you can watch you can indulge any wish you want you you're getting paid to do it (laughs) yeah what a deal. I'm wondering, actually, I'm wondering how much of my viewing history is actually recorded through this process. The nature of the 10 hours a week is relatively clinical associated with interacting with the device. But yeah, I have gone through, like, I don't know, like, uh, what would you call it? Genre deep dives 
through the Netflix catalog. And I yeah. actually, because I work Are you there, running out of things now, or, or are you still, is there plenty to, to uh The to documentaries, I've, over a four-year period, I mean, this topic came up at lunch, which is how the TED conferences came up in conversation. I've watched almost all of the documentaries that are on Netflix that are in topics that I would watch. Okay, I've watched so. many of the sports documentaries, although I've watched some of them. All the financial collapse documentaries I've watched, even the September 11th loose. Okay, so now you're going to have to get outside your zone. And yeah, play. yeah, good. Now it's now it can get interesting. So it's interesting because some films that I've watched are classified as dramas. So I guess I like the dramas. Some of the foreign movies I've watched as well. But yes, I am moving out of my comfort zone. And I think, uh. Um, yeah, that's a good sign, I think. Yes. Yeah, that's good. You'll see some stuff. Well, that's sort of the way I view movies, in a sense, is I, I don't watch nearly as many as I used to. Mm. I've got like three or four hundred on my hard drives yes. now, you know, and I watch maybe one a week. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I go into it figuring, you know, I'll like it or I won't like it, you know, but I'll learn something from this. The other documentary I watched through the week that I wouldn't have watched if it went through the circumstance was associated with the history of Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And my, again, similar to Mandela, I have a relatively low opinion of Johnny Carson. (laughs) Is there anybody you don't have a relatively low opinion of? It's an interesting question, actually. (laughs) It really is. It's a very, very interesting question. I find people genuinely fascinating. Like I say, I have relatively... Oh, that's a nice way of saying it. I I find them fascinating. McKenna? McKenna? I don't know. Okay, all right, all right, so there are some people. Yeah, okay. You know, I, I just think, I guess I'm a, the whole notion of the phony is just so heavily connected with my general existence, whether I explain it that way or not. And I'm really, like I you. you my insight in these areas, I suppose, about who pisses me off and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Have I gone into this before? Uh, you may have, but do so again. Well, it's just for me anyway. It became very clear that most people make no impact on me one way or another. Yeah, they're just there. I, I you know, I don't. Pay. Once in a while, I find someone I really like. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, I find people that really piss me off. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered, well, actually, somebody told me this. It wasn't like I figured it out for myself. Somebody pointed it out. The people I really dislike are people who are flaunting some aspect of their behavior that I'm busy repressing in myself. Wow. Something about uh, me that I don't like and am busy suppressing this other person is just out there with. Wow. That was, well, listen. Who, that who was, came to this realization in your life? I don't remember who told me this. but Oh, uh, that's the best it's, thing, it's a sad, Yeah, it's, it's sad that I don't remember who, who did it. It must have been a woman. I have no idea at this point, but I remember uh, the realization was really shocking. Yeah. No, I'm the opposite, actually. Most of the people that I detest are people that I've either tried to interact with or are representing something relatively close to my views that they've just completely misaligned. And certainly with regards to the TED stuff, and this is why I didn't dive into it too deeply, um... They're typically people who I've tried to interact with previously, or people who have, like this Chris Adami fellow, who have interacted with me and have just been really difficult, even though we're fundamentally should be doing the same work, should be simpatico, similarly Dawkins et al. There's just been this disconnection. Most of the time, actually, it's with the other person disliking me. It's not with me disliking the other person, which then just creates this process. 
But yeah, it is a very curious thing. It is a very curious thing. So let's dig this a little deeper associated with the self-analysis that this now anonymous person made in your life, which is absolutely fascinating. Can you give examples? Well, almost. Well, I think since I've, I mean, this was many years ago that I made this, um, this discovery. Well, so someone made this for you. Yeah, yeah. Somebody pointed it out. Well, for me, it was a discovery at the time. The fact that somebody pointed it out to me or it doesn't really make any difference. The point is, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and for me, uh, well, it just changed everything because when I find people that I don't like now, which doesn't happen very often anymore. That's the thing is that now it's just, but at the time, uh, I used it as an opportunity to, to look, well, what is it that they're doing that I'm so pissed off about? You know, what is it that I don't like specifically? Yes. And, and part of it is this poser issue that mm. you're bringing up, this phony issue. That's been an issue for me too. Yeah. You know, uh, people that I think are full of shit out there looking good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I had to admit, you know, I really wanted to be out there looking good. Yeah. You know, it's just that simple. Yes, that's an interesting point, because I guess there's something implicit in my assessment as well. The thing that I got from the Johnny Carson documentary was, are you eating nuts? <laughs> Damn, yeah, I even moved the mic away. <laughs> <laughs> you, have, you have recent, it's interesting actually. I have a clearly, loud mouth, I guess. It clearly annoys, it, it's interesting actually, because the sections <laughs> of the, where you were like sucking on the nuts as you were talking. Which had to be a phenomena as well. I actually edited out a lot of that because you look, you were, you could tell you were really getting into some of yeah. the nuts. <laughs> it was just something that was deep and personal. Almost yeah, like no, I, was, I understand that makes for a, this kind of thing. Well, of course, I let this shit go, but I, I can understand being like you are. This is intolerable. <laughs> We've been like anal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Taking we gotta get that out. B back out of there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I understand completely. It's annoying as hell. Yeah. So I, my suggestion is people get used to reality. <laughs> Whereas I like to clean it up. This past right. documentary was fascinating because it talked more about, it wasn't actually what I would loosely call a hand job which is an Australian term in these documentaries. It was actually more about the kind of irascible nature of Carson and the fact that he had to be in control of absolutely everything through mm -hmm. the recording of his show. But also the effect that he had on comedians. You know, he basically was a gatekeeper for... Sure. Yeah, get on his show, man. That's big time. Well, you know, if he invites you to the couch or the, you know... Yeah, sure. It all, yeah, big deal. But he also controlled, basically, the comedians that, um, you know, were successful and weren't successful. He was a huge gatekeeper in that. Uh, yeah, yeah. In that light. Well, that's, and that's a problem? No, because, the, well, the interesting thing was the kind of old media control, which I think actually will probably move into new media. I've now been saying explicitly to people that I meet in Squish that my plan next year is to start up this YouTube channel. In fact, I've motivated a variety of things in my life. If only my professional life would allow me to sleep more hours. But I've tried to motivate a variety of things in my squish life to make me look more presentable when I launch this thing. I may even just get my evil genius cat to star in it and I'll just do a voiceover or something. <laughs> but it's an interesting phenomenon that when you start thinking of yourself in these 
formats as a kind of visual projected entity, then studying other people who have utilized these formats previously is, you know, an interesting yeah. intellectual exercise to go. That's through. why I don't like video. I just, it just seems like a big distraction to me. Yeah. I don't know what anybody yet, would be getting if this well, was video. Yet it's a different, it's a completely different audience. I mean, what we do yeah. here is so. But it's a distraction. What's well, important is what we're saying. Well, okay, yes, you can argue that, and that's true. The problem is that the vast quantity of folks who could be coming to this material yeah. do not understand that unless it's well, presented that's to that's right. They're not ready format. for this yet. Well... We don't need them. They can't make the judgment call if they don't have any exposure to it. If they yeah. had some exposure to it, then make the judgment that, call. That's true, too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And in parallel, you know. Well, then again, does it have to be actually the actual video of you and your and my faces, or can no, it no, just no, be look, some, a cat smiling? Be something. Yeah, can, let's be clear. Yeah. This is. I have no intention of putting you on camera. No, I, no, I'm just asking. No, I mean, does it make any difference whether it's that or he just shows a, a cat playing and they some just something for them to look at. Does it have to be my face and your face or just anything? There seems to be a good deal of both academic and folk psychology associated with the benefit of looking at a human for oh, sure. certain yeah. kinds of interaction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, clearly there's information added. Yeah. It's extraneous and irrelevant, but there clearly is a lot of information added by video. That's why I don't want it there. I don't want all that extra yeah. information. It's irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You did but, post through, not this week, but maybe last week, a more recent photograph of yourself, though. Yeah, as recent as you can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I figured it's fine. You know, if people want to see what I look like, okay, there I am. You know, I, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I have to do a better, I don't like that picture, but that, that'll yeah. do for now until I come up with a better smile. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my primary concern associated with video is that I've noticed, particularly over the past two years of work, my physical form deteriorate. Now we've editorialized various parts of this, <laughs> but in terms of my face, it relates to large, you know, sleep deprivation appearance. It was called getting old, too. Very much so. That's what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty maintain... obvious in those two pictures of me in the last yeah. five years. Yeah, I also have to maintain regular things like a haircut and these kind of things. I mean, yeah. part of this thing is being, you know, visually presentable in a relatively uniform way over a period of time, yeah. which is an interesting phenomenon in and of itself. Yeah. So... You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna create a new channel. I'm gonna call it something completely different and work from there and see what happens. It's an experiment, as many of these things have been. I'm sorry, I'm not clear what you just said. You mean you're gonna start making some videos? Yes, I'm gonna create a new YouTube channel and start making videos that of, represent of between three to five minute observations akin just, to some just of the stuff. stuff we yeah, talked just, about. yeah, talking yeah. points. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. That, you know, I've, I've thought occasionally of doing something like that myself. That makes a lot of sense. There, there's a guy from England who is, I guess, basically an atheist. Mm -hmm. a, a guy, he's got short white hair, uh, wears glasses. You've probably seen him. He's just so good. He's a master at putting together five to seven minute analysis of something. Yes. You know who I'm talking about? No, because I don't, actually, I, my, 
current thing is small home firearm assembly. Although the transgenders, thankfully, have dropped off. I'll have to find this guy and I'll give you a link to him because he's so. I'm sure I've seen him in the. Yeah, I'm sure you have too. He's been around. He's got a lot of followers and he's been there for a long time. But he's just so good at taking us one, one issue and just covering it. And doing it in such a sarcastic way, too. <laughs> yeah, I guess I follow... I mean, atheism is a little bit like football to me. Yeah. Well, it, actually, I don't think... It's more social... I mean, he's clearly from that perspective, but that's not his acts. It, yeah. it, it's more just a social analysis kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll just have to look him up and I'll send you a link. Very good. Very good. So do any topics jump out at you, Heron? No. Nah, nah. Yeah, I have a topic here associated with reflective nihilism. Which is something that I wanted to talk Reflective nihilism. Yes. Okay. So in the past couple of weeks, maybe a month at most, I've had, actually it's associated in part with my, you know, grandmother's death, but also just a sense that I've reached a middle point in my life. Mm, Yeah. And it seems to have gone remarkably quickly, and I'm actually kind of... <laughs> Halfway already? I'm actually kind of aware of how pathetic the whole thing seems, which I understand is part of this emotion. But that's such a, that's a, such a, such a breathtaking observation. I mean, most people never get that. Yes. You know, be thankful to realize what a waste your fucking life is. And the interesting part <laughs> about this is my spiritual advisor is very concerned because usually when people come to this consideration, they go out and find other spiritual advisors or <laughs> tax interests along the way. At least, at least buy a new convertible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, again, another thing that I'm probably not going to own. But, yeah, it is, it is an interesting moment. I mean, the point I made to her was that this wasn't – there is not just a single prescription for this thing. It's actually, you can take it in a wide variety of directions, and many people do things like build houses out in Missouri. You can take it anywhere you want. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, if anything, you should assume the exact opposite. Well, that's what's it. so scary about it, yes. is that it really is unpredictable. Yes. And people like things predictable. Yes. And it is unpredictable. Once you get to this point... Any goddamn thing can happen. <laughs> mm. Mm. Oops. Yeah, we've talked quite critically associated with having children in the near term. Yeah. And I mean, we, you mean you and me, or you mean you and your wife? I mean, your my spiritual, spiritual advisor. advisor. Yes. Excuse me. Yes. Because um, certainly that would, again, put us into a... <laughs> that would be frame. a game changer, yeah. Yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I actually think the reason that I've done a lot of the stuff that I've done has been because I haven't had children. Yeah, you wouldn't have time for all this exactly. shit. <laughs> yeah. In fact, yeah. when I look at my co-workers that have children, I had a conversation with one this morning. He has a two-year-old and a newborn. And he's probably yeah. older than me, actually. So, you know, it's perfectly yeah. fathomable. No, it has nothing to do with age, happen. really. Yeah. Well, age does play a factor. Well, part of it. But Certainly yeah. associated with your ability to deal with these circumstances. I mean, he's surviving on literally two hours of sleep every night, if that. It's like a precious commodity. In fact, when I started to chuckle to the description, he became quite stern, and I realized that I probably should just yeah, let him yeah. talk. Yeah, no, no, this is, yeah, this is serious. Serious stuff, stuff yeah. very serious <laughs> stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it, it, it amazes me, actually, that people can, because, um, I mean, the, in terms of time, you know, there are certain aspects of my job that are relatively demanding. And to have another entity, another human, that would be demanding of your time to a similar way is... Um, 
Well, some people can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was lucky in that I, I realized I really just wasn't smart enough or didn't have the, whatever. I, I, I knew that I, I couldn't, you know, be married and have kids and actually do what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's just, I, I, I envy people who, who can do both. There are, and there are plenty of people who can, you know. I, I see these Nobel laureates, mm. you know, who have families and grandchildren mm. and stuff and real lives. But, um, I, I, you know, it takes all of me just to do what little I can do. Yeah, although it's an, Im- an implicit contradiction of what I've said earlier. Yeah, there's an interesting phenomenon associated with children and, yeah, just general expectations. Because although I say quite flip, in a quite a flip way, that I haven't really done anything, I'm actually very appreciative You've done a lot. of what I've done. And it means that I feel almost, com- I mean, completely fulfilled. I was thinking about this associated yeah. with the next half, that um, really, you know, I could, I could, you know, be wiped off this earth in a variety of really miserable ways, and yet I've still done things that... That's the way I feel. You know, if I died right now, I've done... I mean, I haven't done as well as I could have done, probably, but I've sure as hell done better than most, and and I've done quite a lot, you know? And I'd have nothing to be ashamed of, you know? I could have done more, (laughs) but, uh, shit, you know, I've done quite a bit. I I can live with that. Yeah, I have a body of work I could walk away from at any stage. Yeah, yeah. And feel... Phenomenally good about it. Yes, and especially if Sheldrake is right. <laughs> well, even if he isn't. I mean, he, well, I know, I know, I know, yeah, even if he's not. No, yeah. yeah. You know, I still, I'm looking right now at my keyboard. I look at that thing and it's just, part of me still thinks, you know, I really should be pushing that, you know? So it's, when do you get to the point where you just give up on that and pr- put it out open source? <sighs> do a YouTube video? Oh, when I die, probably. Okay. You know, it'll be here. It's still, I mean, l- at least there's a physical artifact here, you know? So there it is. It works. You can play it. Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah. so- you know, you're right. I, I, I need to think about that because it, it's really, I mean, that's the thing is it's hard, it's hard to separate my ego from it, you know, mm. you know, to say, I, I think it really is like probably one of the most important musical inventions ever made. Yet. Uh, and, 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 but, you know, it's, I, I have trouble saying that and giving my energy to it. It's just my ego telling me, oh, yeah, you're so fucking great, Aaron. <laughs> you know, but yeah. If, if, if no one gets to see that greatness. Well, yeah, well, no, they will when I die. It's here. But what, the, I mean, my view is when I die, quite literally, I mean, if, if my spiritual advisor dies first, then I have even less control over when I die. But, yeah. You know, you have, demonstrably less control even that associated with what happens when you die. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, like I say, I don't really worry about that, you know? Well, that's exactly my point, which means that when you die, it could just end up in landfill. That's right, absolutely. It's entirely possible. But again, if Sheldrake's right, (laughs) and actually this idea isn't totally 100% unique. I mean, uh, there are other similar ideas floating around. Mm. So, um, you know, it's... um, well, you know, listen, the universe will have to take care of itself without me. It's not damn. But on the other hand, that's the thing is, is committing myself. To, I mean, I think it's, it's one of the great inventions of the world. And yet I'm reticent to say that out loud and do something about it. I mean, there are simple ways that you can do this, Herod. 
Although, really, even that doesn't give you any degree of protection, but at least identifies you. Yeah. You take all the drawings and everything that w- was part of its creation. Yeah. And you create either a design it, mark, yeah. a trademark. Yeah. I would advise probably against a patent, potentially something associated with copyright. Well, that's the thing is I can't do a patent. It's too expensive. I don't have the money to do that. Well, the technically... Technically, and I would really heavily advise against this, but I think someone in your circumstance could potentially do this. But that would take probably tens of hours, maybe many more hours of work and research. And no, it doesn't take with- research. It just takes work. Well, work, figuring out, filling out forms, how to fill out forms, how to say stuff the way they want to hear it said. I'm not interested in wasting my time doing that kind of shit. If somebody else wants to do that, fine, but I'm not going to do that. Well, then you can at least get design marks. You can at least get copyright. Or I can just send it out. I can just fucking publish it and say, here it is. Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Which, in that in and of itself, gives you... Well, it gives me something. It certainly documents that, that what my work. I mean, that, that's not a problem. But again, to actually do anything with that in a court, if somebody was to go against it, it would take, I mean, you know, to go to court over that kind of shit, it takes deep pockets. Which you don't have. Which I don't have. Remove yourself from the go to court part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in any case, that's all sort of beside the point anyway. The question, you know, and, and maybe you're right. Maybe I should just publish it, you know, just put it all out there and say, here it is. Yeah. If if you're kind, give me a cut. <laughs> yeah. Or at least acknowledgement. Well, a cut would be better. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, not much. I don't yeah. I'm not greedy. I don't need a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I God, when I think about it, when I think of all the people who start to play the piano and give up after six months because they've made no progress. Yeah. And uh inst- all the people who listen to music rather than play music. Yeah. That strikes me as just a tragedy. It's in the world that I envision, uh, the idea of going to concerts and shit, it, well, that, that'll still be there too. But imagine people who actually were all musicians, who, who got together with their friends and played music instead of listened to music. I, That's I have, the kind of planet I want to live on. I may have made this point to you. In fact, I probably have. There's a phenomenon that I've observed with young children, although even now this is commoditized. <laughs> but there was a period of time as a child where the only music I knew was the music I could create. Ah. And that, I think, is far too swiftly removed from children. The idea, actually, of teaching children songs yeah. and then having them sing the songs yeah. and letting yeah. that be their music yeah. Yeah. is a really interesting psychological yeah. phenomenon. And that's all gone now. I mean, that, It that's doesn't the... have to be. No, of course not. It shouldn't be. Yes. It should be an integral part of our education. Yes. Yeah, being a musician, being an artist, yes. being a dancer, being a sportsman, all of those things. Yes. Or a sports person. <laughs> Excuse me. Lorraine, <laughs> you know who to contact. <laughs> and with that, I, I, I think I'm at a point of conclusion. My body's certainly at a point of conclusion this evening. But I would like to say, I'd like to thank all the new listeners. Uh, Timothy Charles Moorhead, Paul Heft, uh, Common Sites Bowen has submitted previous questions. Obviously, Joe the Drummer as well. But the new listeners in particular for actually throwing their hat in the ring and submitting questions to, for us to discuss this evening. You know, the, what I'm interested in is, again, this idea of building a community. Yes. You know, how do we, 
the people who are here, probably you're going to like most of the other people here, or at least some of the other people who are yeah. here. And so how do we facilitate you guys communicating with each other? Well, as Timothy the- Charles Moorhead notes, he's, he's new to Facebook. We got on there to find yeah. other yeah, listeners. yeah. The the Facebook page is clearly really the only place right now. <laughs> where, yeah, I could create a mailing can... list potentially for people that are more email centric, but Heron would never get on that. So <laughs> well, it could just be our little space. Well, I don't know why. What would an email do? Would, well, is there any way that would make it better for anybody? I don't know. I mean, certainly Joe the drummer emails me questions, and maybe he would be more receptive to a oh, mailing he does, list. He doesn't do it through. Uh, th- Oh, I see. Through Facebook, he doesn't. No, he doesn't email touch Facebook. Oh, he's not on Facebook no. yet. Ah, we've tried to. I know there's a lot of people who don't like Facebook. I've run into a lot of them. Mm. They just have a sort of philosophical position yeah. on, on not being on Facebook. I would encourage you to rethink that and use Facebook on your terms. Yes, it's, it's just it's like money. It's not good or bad in and of itself. It's what you do with it. You know, uh, Facebook is an awesome thing if you use it awesomely. <laughs> and with that, Heron, I am going to conclude this evening's conversation. Okay. It's been a pleasure as always. Yes. Next week. All right. Good night. Good night.